Welcome everyone to Dabo's Fingers episode 56, The Least of Our Woes. I'm Scatty and with me as always is my buddy Matt. Guten Tag. Today, my friends, we are, of course, continuing our reread of A Feast for Crows and A Dance with Dragons. We're reading them together in tandem in that special reading order you can find at DavosFingers.com. Today's chapters that we'll be discussing are The Soiled Knight in A Feast for Crows and Brienne Three from A Feast for Crows. Then we're going to jump over to Dance with Dragons, A Dude for Brand Two, Tyrion Four, and Davos Two. Some good chapters this time, man. I liked them a lot. Uh, yeah. Oh, you disagree? <laughs> well. Oh, I can't wait to get into it. Well, some of them got a little slow there at the end, but we'll talk about that. Yeah, well, we also had some we had some personal stuff getting in the way for prep, too. I mean, I know you had the big move going on. Tough to yeah, focus yeah. with so much going on. And I had, of course, the Ice and Fire Con, and uh, that was a... Tell us about it, Scott. Yeah. Man, it was so much fun. Uh, for those of you guys that don't know, uh, I totally give it the scad blessing. Go if you can. Um, it's a small con. It's not like this this big, huge thing. It's kind of an intimate thing. I, I don't know exactly how many people were there. Maybe 180 or so uh, this year. But, uh, yeah, man, they just basically rented out this awesome place. Uh, it's actually where Dirty Dancing was filmed. If you wanted to know that. What? Yeah. They basically like rented it out seemingly, seemingly uh, completely. I mean, there were probably, maybe there were other guests there, but they didn't get in our way, that's for sure. Uh, and just tons of activities, panels and discussions and icebreakers. They had a attorney uh, on the lawn where people were like, so, you know, fighting with fake swords and stuff and everyone gathered around for that. Um, a melee? Uh, it was not a melee. It was one-on-one. A melee is an interesting idea. Was um, yeah, that's but what they, I'm thinking. Yeah, well, in a normal melee, it's pretty easy to tell when you've been vanquished. You know, with these <laughs> fake swords, I think it might be a lot of cheating. Anyway, uh, yeah, it was just a blast. I mean, you know what it really is is the people made it great. Um, just everyone very approachable, very accepting of whatever kind of nerd culture you're into. Um, you know, <laughs> show watchers, book readers, both. Um, there's a trivia contest. I participated in that with uh, with a couple gentlemen that I met, Pasha and John. Um, and we got reasonably trounced. We did not win. We did all right, though. Uh, a bad fan fiction reading, which uh, our patrons have uh, have got a taste of that. I posted that today uh, up on up on our patron site. But. Uh, did that with our good friend Anne, and that was a lot of fun. Uh, one of the best times, actually, was there was a big bonfire, and mm. uh, there was this super talented guy with a guitar, Eli, and a, another woman that I met, Rebecca, who uh, who was with a couple other girls that, uh, that knew, the, knew the cast, I think, uh, Noel and, and Allison, and uh, Rebecca and Eli had their instruments, and we busted out some American Pie, and the whole camp was singing, it was pretty great. Um, so Baron Maiden Fair? Uh, no, no, no. We didn't play Baron the Maiden Fair. I don't. I don't think. Crappy con. What a they, crappy con. They did bust out a few <laughs> other songs, but uh, it, I think it was Rebecca's playbook and uh, her her songbook, and she had huh. some eclectic stuff, some stuff I didn't even know. I'm sure it's all good, you know. But anyway, uh. 
Yes, I mean, honestly, everything, even down from, like, the car ride down, I flew into D.C. and, and drove down with with, uh, with Anne, who I mentioned before, and, and Eliana and, and uh, Brynn and Beefish, uh, who are, you know, moderators on Reddit and stuff. So, uh, you know, I'd never even met Eliana before, um, just kind of talked through through uh, Skype and stuff, and um, or through Twitter, rather, and it was just great. The, the ride down was amazing. Just tons of conversation about a Song of Ice and Fire, but also just about lives and living. And it was just a blast, man. It was every every moment was fun. I am happy for you. Yeah. Genuinely. I'm, I'm glad that I have your genuine happiness. <laughs> so glad you had fun. Yeah. Uh, I was going to see if I had any questions for you, but I think we talked it all out already. So that's good. Okay. Good. We'll look forward to next year. And thanks if uh, I may or may not have mentioned your name in there. I met so many cool people. Uh, just thanks. Thanks for being awesome. You thanks know, for taking top, care of him, guys. Yeah. On the, off the top of my head, Noel, Elizabeth, Susan, uh, Pat, Donaghy, uh Just so many people I met. Hopefully I didn't forget anybody. But, I mean, tons of people just were awesome and had great conversations with. So. We've got at least three people now that are never listening to our podcast again because you forgot them, right? <laughs> no, I didn't mean to forget anyone. <laughs> just just uh, know that every moment I loved it. Yeah, yeah. He was in heaven. So, let's see here. Um, glad you had fun. We'll look forward to next year. Yeah. And uh, hopefully we'll have 181 next year. Get all mad out there so I can be super awkward like I am in uh, big groups of people. So it'll be f- so fun. No, look, I don't. I don't want to like. I don't want to make you feel like you have to go. But there were there were some reasonably socially awkward people there, and they oh, still imagine. looked like they had a pretty good time. Yeah. Now, see, see, I look like I'm having a good time on the outside, <laughs> but on the inside, I'm like, get me out of. Here. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like Garth, I'm having a good time. <laughs> not. <laughs> not. <laughs> oh, Dana And it's not anyone's fault. I really love and genuinely love people. It's me. It's it's my problem. Uh-huh. But, uh yes indeed. So anyways, everybody, um uh before we get started, just a quick cl- plug once again for our Patreon in case people haven't heard about it yet. Uh, thanks everyone who has and who is supporting us on Patreon. Patreon. And for those not familiar with it, it's a program that allows us to kind of take our relationship with you guys one step further. You can pledge a certain monetary amount on a per month basis, and we try to like repay in kind through fun rewards. We've got like early access to episodes, uh, extracurricular activities like Google Hangouts. Uh, you can even like write chapter summaries for us, you know, do our work, <laughs> or pick the next character I write a song for, uh, all that good stuff. So you can check it all out at patreon.com slash Davos Fingers and uh, thanks everyone for the support we still love you even if you can't support us but we just thought it's a fun way to uh, continue to grow the cast and to give you guys more content too so check it out yeah it's already made me feel like like I've upped my game a little bit this this oh, chapter definitely. prep I felt like I was like I'm like I'm in it to win it 
you know, like right. I got. Yeah, gotta we can't let here. you guys down. There's, yeah. there's people that are that are putting hard-earned cash on the line for us. So, yeah, exactly. Definitely. Thank yeah. you very much. All right, business aside, fuck that noise. We are spoiler-free mm. until the end of the podcast for a special segment that we call Davos After Dark. Uh, at that point, we'll get all spoilery and fun and talk about anything goes. But uh, until that time, we'll uh, we'll go along at the speed of these chapters that we're that we're covering. So. We'll try not to spoil you. Uh, and we will warn you when Davos After Dark is coming. Just uh, one of Matt's signature jingles will let you know, and uh, you can just jump off for that time. Yeah, and if you want to contact us, you want to talk about uh, future episode topics, you want to jape, you want to laugh, you want to criticize, you can do whatever you want, uh, you can reach out to us, DavosFingers.com. Uh, you can also reach us on our Patreon site. Uh, you can find our email, we are DavosFingers at gmail.com. Twitter, where we're always playing around on, that's at Davos Fingers, or you can find and like us on the Facebooks. Yeah. So... The, the email game from the Kalasar has been strong these last couple weeks. Getting yeah, some good emails. it's been a lot of fun. Yeah. We love interacting with you guys, and we appreciate the, the kind words that you've that you're always sending. It really does. We, we check out every single email, every single tweet, and it uh, really does mean the world to us, so thank you. Oh, uh, let's see. We're starting with me tonight, aren't we? We are. Soiled Night. You're so much more, you're so much more than that white cloak you wore. Did your honor she tear with your underwear and leave you guilty on the floor? And I know it's hard, I know it's hard, you didn't want to hit Sansa that hard. Marcella's like your daughter, would you put a crown on her? Aries I soiled my armor. I was so scared. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it's almost like does George know the word he used? Because that's just going to <laughs> he, induce laughter. He knew exactly what he was doing. <laughs> okay, let's uh, let's do this thing. So the soiled knight uh, slipping quietly through the night. Disguised in his best best Dornish menswear, is one of a Song of Ice and Fire's most well-known characters. Uh, someone who I'm sure everyone was dying to get a POV from. Scott, I knew you were waiting on pins and needles for to hear from this guy. That's right, yeah. Sir Ares Oakheart, the Kingsguard, Sir Ares Oakheart of the Kingsguard. Yes, our man, TMZ's uh, greatest source within the Kingsguard, Sir Ares. Last time we saw Sir Ares was in a cock, where he would beat Sansa at King Joffrey's command, but at least would feel bad about it. Um, he was overjoyed because of that to be selected to accompany Princess Marcella to Dorne, although his current status update in Dorne is... it's complicated. So let's briefly review the Marcella Dorne stuff. Uh, Tyrion, if you'll remember, clear back when he was still Hand of the King, had it in his mind to win Dorne to the side of the Iron Throne, so much so that he offered Marcella's hand in marriage to Prince Tristane, youngest son of Doran Martell. After Dorne accepted, Marcella was sent to Dorne under the protection of Ser Ares, and she currently resides there. Ares is, of course, hanging out there too. And by all accounts, Marcella and Tristane are getting along great. Tyrion's a little matchmaker, who knew? Uh, Marcella is enjoying Dorne and enjoying Tristane, although their uh, their their relationship level seems pretty pretty just friendly right now. She's only like ten years old. Give her a break, okay? So now back to the narrative. Ares, who is um, 
not guarding Marcella at this present time, arrives incognito at a secret rendezvous point where he meets the beautiful, shapely, and naked as her name day, Ariane Martel. Aries lasts about one second of seeing her naked before the two engage in some passionate and even rather violent, uh, ugly bumping, love making. And according to Aries' thoughts, this isn't the first time this has happened, but it's apparently going to be the last. That's right. Aries is there to break up with Ariane Martel. At least he didn't do it via text. But not so fast. Because when Aries, consumed by guilt, tells Ariane that he dishonors them both by continuing this illicit affair, Ariane brushes it off, telling him she can tend to her own honor, and joking about him having another woman. Duty. And uh, this duty is a poxy biznatch. Uh, she plays masterfully to his guilt, reminding him that he once told her he loved her. A statement which uh, Ares doesn't deny, and we can see him weakening before our very eyes. It's pitiful and so wonderful. You are not your white cloak, Ariane states, to which Ares shoots back that yes, he is. It's his whole identity, and that's why this has to end. He took a vow. Retorts Ariane. There's all sorts of stories about Kingsguard getting a little side action. And let's not even start with honor among the uh, the White Brothers. Now, Ares, his resolve sufficiently weakened, still holds true to his devotion to the Princess Marcella, who he's come to view rather tenderly as a daughter. Now, it's then that Ariane coyly suggests that he can have her, Marcella, and still keep his vows, all right? So according to Dornish law, and frankly to this reader, the law of common sense, Marcella is older than Tommen, and therefore the rightful ruler of the Seven Kingdoms. Defend her, Ariane says, and her rights. Set a crown upon her head. And Queen Marcella, her love strong for both Ariane and Ares, will no doubt allow the two of them to get hitched. No more sneaking around for slam sessions riddled by guilt trips after. Just they can live together happily. Ares can hold on to his white cloak because Queen Marcella can say and do and enact whatever she wants. Ariane then admits that she fears she has enemies on all sides, even those closest to her. And Ares is the only one who can protect her. Even her father, Scott, her own father, is secretly planning to make her little brother his heir instead of her. She feels alone, trapped, scared. She shares, in fact, common cause with Marcella. Both have birthrights that are being denied them. And they also share a knight who claims to love them both, but will not fight for them. Oh, dig. That's too much for Sir Ares, who sinks to one knee and goes totally Anakin Skywalker in Revenge of the Sith in front of Palpatine. He pledges his sword, his life, his honor to both Arianne and Marcella. And then when he asks what it is that Ariane would have of him, her reply is simple. Marcella. And so ends the chapter of The Soiled Knight. Indeed. Uh, I, 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 I glossed over a lot of the lovemaking stuff. 
I hope you're okay with that. Uh, yeah, I'm okay. I'm a little disappointed. <laughs> but you know what? I'll read it. I'll read it by myself later. And, I'm sure. Uh, you, well, you did mention that you read the chapters more than twice this time, and <laughs> pretty sure I know the reason why. Oh, good point. Good point. Between, the same reason I did. Between this and Lamore, uh, maybe. Um, yeah, I had to go take a shower after this one. <laughs> uh, it, honestly, pr- yeah. I mean, we sound like we sound like a hole men here. Uh, but <laughs> this scene was hot. But quite. But but she's also. She's playing him like a goddamn piccolo. Isn't it? Isn't it uh, pathetic? And yes, I went with piccolo. Uh, <laughs> yeah, well, I don't know if it's pathetic. I think it's uh, it's kind of pathetic from from his perspective for falling for it, or for her for. Uh, I don't know. God. Again, I'm going to sound like an a hole. Like debasing her qualities to fall into this level instead of using her other qualities to manipulate him. Which do you mean? Uh, <laughs> I think we'll get into to the latter thing that you just said. I'm looking forward to that spirited discussion, actually. <laughs> but no, I'm talking about more more from his perspective. Uh, and and I feel like I can call him pathetic because I've been there. And I am there. <laughs> I would do anything for my wife. She's so amazing. Even when she's not turning on the sexy charms. Um, you know... We've all been whipped hard, and uh, that that just causes a sly smile to cross our lips, you know. So maybe I, we, I mean I've certainly been there before. I don't think my current wife would ever try that. I don't think she, I don't, no. Okay, yeah, maybe she doesn't try that, and 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 my wife hasn't really either. At least that strong, like. Nope, nope, not going to give examples. But... No, don't. But, uh, but, uh, <laughs> but I'm, I... no, I'm talking from your perspective. From my perspective, were you what? just symbolically falling to your knees and just willing to do anything? Love can fool any man. Love me, love me, say that you love me. Well, it can. Just a Although I, I don't know that this is, I don't know that this is love at all. Uh doesn't matter what you think. So, well, I, no, it doesn't, but it doesn't matter what he thinks either. I mean, I, <laughs> it, like, I, I don't know that he knows the difference. Uh, he admits no, himself, he like, he's drunk yeah. on her. He hasn't been Absolutely. with anyone in ten years. Um, yep. I totally <sighs> agree with you. There's, uh, I've brought up the movie Fall before on this podcast. Um, mm. and it's about a, a cab driver who falls in love with, uh, with a runway model like one of the biggest models in the world with a recently returned missionary from Brazil. <laughs> it's not that story apparently reach I, around reach around apparently i love cab driver stories uh <laughs> no in this case though they're they they end up having a he brings to her a sexual exploration that she simply doesn't have in her current relationship and mm. uh and <laughs> and she she kind of in in the end she's not resenting him for it but she's kind of she's like we can't just keep keep fucking like this and he's like that he he's I'll just read a couple lines here he says that okay that was just fucking to you she says no okay making love but that right there felt like fucking and he says but it couldn't have been such heroic fucking without elements of making love underneath and mm. while that's very pretty language and that's one of the reasons I really like the film is the writer Michael Schaefer who's done uh, 
lots of lots of weird or sorry it's Eric Schaefer he plays a character named Michael in the film uh he's done several movies and his language is very colorful and that's what I love about the film but that to me underpins this love or lust like they Mm -hmm. intermix so much I don't I don't know that you know the difference and I'm not sure whether it matters really yeah I would agree with that there's definitely that element of lust and drunk on love and to your point, the yeah, I, I don't think he knows what love is. Um, but to your other point, doesn't matter. We look at it from a distance, and to us, it doesn't look like it. He might look back on it in ten years and realize it wasn't. But you know, really, it matters what he feels right now. Here's where it matters. Ariane knows he doesn't know the difference. Oh yeah, and she's using that to her advantage. Let's talk about Ariane. I think it's time. Okay. <laughs> I mean, at some point, so uh, I didn't think of this until I, until I was listening to you give the chapter summary. Um, mm. There's a song by Meatloaf. You don't have to play it, Matt, but there's a song by Meatloaf called Paradise <laughs> by the Dashboard Light. And uh, basically they're they're like going at it in a car or whatever. And in order to like seal the deal, she basically makes him promise that he'll love her for the end of, till the end of time. And she's kind of beating him over the head with it over and over and over again in this song. Like, you got to do it. You got to do it. I'm not going to give in until you do it. You got to do it. 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 What is it? Dwight on The Office? Yeah, that's just what I thought of. Yeah. Say it. He just, like, makes you do the deal. Like, Ares is, he's, like, so far gone on the lust slash love train. And he's just getting hit, beaten over the head with this, like, over and over and over again. And what is clearly a planned assault from Ariane. And I'm not saying that negatively, necessarily. Ariane's got an objective, and she does a good job here. But, like, the guy's got no shot. I mean, it's just beaten about the head and shoulders repeatedly. And eventually he's got to give in. And I swear, baby, I'll love you till the end of time. And now I'm praying for the end of time. I'm praying for the end of time. That's clever, Mr. Meatloaf. That's Mr. Loaf. That's what he does. Oh, okay. Uh, so go ahead. Your take with, on Ariane. With, with Mr. Loaf. Well, let's talk about it because I'm conflicted, actually, on Ariane. You made one point already. Uh, what were the words you used? Um, that she's ignoring her other qualities and and focusing on this method of yeah uh persuasion yeah if it were yeah yeah and and i'm with you on that one uh arianne is arguing for things like like progressive gender roles Mm -hmm. you know what i mean Mm -hmm. and all of this stuff with marcella Mm -hmm. but then she's using like these really could we call them like regressive ways of going about it well i I Um, mean you could i mean but 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 doing that doing that also takes away from sexual empowerment which which i certainly don't mean to do women can be sexually empowered and uh, you know like that's that's where i'm conflicted yeah is on one hand i'm like arianne you 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 are smart. You are a smart person. You have so many other qualities and everything. 
you don't have to use this, right? Like, um, I was actually just watching an interview just uh, yesterday, actually, with Rashida Jones, the the actress, um, and one and of my one biggest of your crushes. top five, yeah. Oh my gosh, maybe maybe like the top. I don't know what it is about her, but she just has me hook, line, and sinker. Um, and she was talking about how uh, uh, she uh, she went to Harvard, and her dad just like was, visiting was Quincy or Jones. whatever. No, she just, attended just, Harvard. She graduated from Harvard. Just kidding. I know, and I'm not going to let you kid about something <laughs> as important as her. <laughs> Noted. Her dad was Quincy Jones. Uh, her mom's Peggy Lipton. Like she grew up very set. Like she was good to go, um, and everything. And she talked about how she decided early on. She's very beautiful. That she she uh, she felt like she had more to give than just her looks. Um, and she talks about in an industry obsessed with looks, she wants to feel like she has more to give than just that. She doesn't want to feel limited by what other people see of her. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yep. And talks about beauty, you know, being somewhat of a diminishing asset over time. And so develop these other qualities that you have. And so one part of me is like, Ariane, you don't have to do this, you know? But then there's the other side of me that says what you just said. Why not? That. If she if if she decides that she wants to do that, who's to tell her that she can't? Right. Why not? She should feel empowered to do whatever she wants to do. Yeah. And also, and if this works for her and she wants to, who are we to say no? You can't do that. You need to be better than that, Ariane. No. Well, you're a woman. So we're do what you want. We're nobody to say that. Uh, and right. And, and I would say also, this is where I miss Brooke. <laughs> I mean, I miss Brooke everywhere, but... Uh, Two guys just, talking about... <laughs> sure, it would help to have her for this conversation, for sure. But I think we're doing all right. So it's not our place, for sure, to question that. It's nobody's place. Not even a woman's yep. place, really, to question an individual's sexual exploration or how they, you know, what they what they do that way. Um, yeah. So I'm, I'm fine with that. And also, to be honest, she's working on a pretty limited time frame here. Uh, mm -hmm. And so this might be the most expeditious method to use, even if she's got these other qualities that could get the job done as well. So that point about not ours to judge, true, and also maybe this is the best way and the fastest way and she's got a timeline, also true. The only thing I will say about it is as a fandom, we give Cersei no end of fucking shit for this. Right, and I feel like Ariane skates a bit, and I know I know she gets a lot hmm. of from men, especially she gets a lot of flack for you know being a sexual object and things like that, and uh, and people freak out about how, you know her impression that way. But you know she based on this chapter, she's got other chapters coming. But if we're just talking about this chapter, you know, like she's being seriously here, it's not that different, right? Yeah, I thought about that as well. The comparisons to Cersei. She no. seems to – no, I would say she's more – I was going to say she's more successful in Cersei. And she's not. Uh, Cersei has been quite successful employing these she's tactics. She's been employing these tactics since she was 12. How old was it with Jamie? Right. I mean – Exactly. Exactly. I don't remember how old it was with Jamie. But. Another thing I thought about with Ar Arianne as, as far as the, the small glimpse of just a couple chapters is of what we've seen is – is she might feel like this is the method that works for her because she's tried other ways and it doesn't seem to work. Like the like, stuff with her dad and 
Yeah, like yeah. she's she's tried so hard to be this good heir, and in mm-hmm. her mind, she, it's not working. She's not getting the she's not getting Dorn. Sure, like her brother's getting it. Like she's what can I do right? Like nothing, obviously. Yeah. So this works, but I, I do agree, and you make a good point about this being the expeditious uh, method. Maybe at this point. Yeah, she needs Marcella. Ares is there. She knows how to get to Ares. She does it. And she she's successful in the end. So Indeed. Uh Okay. I guess uh we could do a Sakan Susmapas for Old Oak. Sure. It's uh Old Oak is about as far away westwise from where he could be as possible. Uh is still staying on Westeros. Old Oak is on the sea road. Um south of Castle Rock, right on the sea road, right up against the ocean. Um mm-hmm. it's uh it's kinda I I've always I've always, I never studied the maps enough and I'm always like where exactly is the line between the Reach and the Westerlands? But it must be like right there on, at Red Lake. Because Craig Hall is uh is part of is part of the Westerlands. So anyway, um Old Oak is right there and it's interesting, like they're for sure part of the Reach and the Dornish are their age-old enemies. I'm like, Se- yep. seems like seems like you'd be embroiled in turf wars with with Westerlands people for for your major enemy, but still, you know, still playing that uh, that major major conflict with Dorn up, even though they're you know way far away from it. Yeah, that is the uh, that is the big conflict, right? Dorn Westeros against Dorn, yep. Yeah, Dorn against everyone else. Dorn against everyone, just because they're yeah. so cool and laid back. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, everyone else is just jealous. <laughs> but yep, there it is. So, uh, Old Oak, or yeah, Old Oak, uh, the seat of House Oakheart. That's right. So. And Ares's uh, youngest son, I believe. So, yeah, he's, he's, an, he's just, I feel like he's just one of those guys that took the wrong job. You think? Yeah. That like, seems like a pretty cool job. No, no, it's a cool job, but he's got some flaws that make him a not a very good, the, the gossipiness, you know, this, <laughs> this good heart that he can be played by, you know, clearly mm-hmm. he's, um. You know the sins of the flesh they establish in this chapter. How many people break that oath at the Kingsguard? But you know, I feel like I feel like he made a good knight. Just maybe when the Kingsguard thing came up, it's like, yeah, you know what? I'm good being a knight. Maybe, yeah. This whole vows thing isn't isn't my thing, right? Yeah. Uh, speaking of vows, uh, shades of Jamie Lannister, where they say there have always been men who found it easier to speak vows than to keep him keep them. Yeah. I thought of uh, Jamie and Catelyn's conversation back in A Cock, right? Where she confronts him in his cell. uh, And he gives us so many vows. They make you swear and swear, defend the king, obey Mm -hmm. the king, keep his secrets, do his bidding, your life for his. Yeah. Uh, No matter what you do, you're forsaking one vow or the other, Jamie says. But but let's let's not make any bones about this. Eris is, in this case, breaking the law. 
the law in Dorne may be the law in Dorne. The law of the family that he represents and the king is the law of the land, which is that male children come next. Like, oh yeah, he's breaking the law here. This is this not is, only is he breaking the law, and, he is committing treason, yes. Scott. Yeah, I mean it's, I mean I I, I I'm on board with the Marcella train. She seems like capable. Tommen's, you know, yes. like kind of a wreck. I mean, not not that he's bad. He's just, you know, he's he's just young. Yeah, he's young, and he he doesn't seem to have an aptitude for the courtly things like Marcella does. But you know what? That doesn't matter. <laughs> like, uh, yeah, this is this is juicy, is what it yeah. is. Yeah, he's it's juicy. He's he's convinced a little bit too easily, in my opinion, to commit what is. Something that will take his life in the end. Like, uh-huh. yeah, anyway. Yep, it's, like, it's, yeah, make no bones about it. This is treason, man. Yeah. This is a big deal. And I, I'm, I don't mean, for those following along at our pace, I don't mean to say that this will kill him. I mean to say that, like, either way this goes, it's probably not going to end well for him. Right, mm-hmm. like the it, unless the Dornish actually like do go to war and win over the Iron Throne themselves, uh, he's going to have to pay for making this choice, right? In some way, which they'll have to do unless they can gain you know support from right. from other houses and yeah. such. Right, that's the only way to put Marcella on the throne. Right, St- so. long odds. Well, Let's just put it that forcefully. Way. Yeah. Yeah. What about I guess so they could kill Tommen, so. What about the the stuff with her dad? So um I mean all of this it does kind of like what you said like she's tried these things with her dad and tried to be a good heir and it seems like she hasn't been rewarded for it. Is is all this this whole uh you know, Marcella thing is it kind of like a cry for help is the wrong word. She's trying to make this about Marcella, but it's not about Marcella. It's about her. No, it's about her. <laughs> right? Easily. Yeah. Yep. And she's just like a representative piece for Ariane. It's it's kind of uh, selfish, right? Like it's... Yeah. She wants to kind of live through Marcella. Yeah. maybe what you're saying? Either live... Well, per- perhaps live through Marcella, but also use Marcella as an example for her getting what she wants back. Like oh well, if uh-huh. you did it for Marcella, yeah. then we should do it for me too. Like she, like Marcella's the advancing, um, you know, the advancing flag for the cause, uh, and then it doesn't have to be me. Um, and yet, like I just said about Eris, like these are long odds, and she's she's putting a lot of people, you know, she's put she's putting a lot of people out there, Eris and herself at least, and Marcella too, uh, for what is essentially a family slight. That like you know what, maybe you should just go fucking talk to your dad. <laughs> you know sit down and have a conversation yeah, right like let's go talk this out before we like commit treason right well it's it's we've seen this with a lot of other characters in uh in this series so far the idea of if you cannot get to the throne or the position of power yourself help someone else get there who will let you, you do yep. what you want to do yep. right yep <clears throat> And that's the game Ariane's playing right now, yep. for sure. I only want to say one more thing, because I feel like I've come down really hard on Ariane in this chapter. And it wasn't really my intent. It's it, Because my other reads, I came away liking Ariane a lot. 
a lot, like, uh, you know, like top 10 character for me. But in this reread, looking at it closer, I'm just like, yeah, like, she's got some problems here with the way she's approaching yeah. this. But I don't want to come down too For hard. Sure. I still I still love her. I think she's a really interesting character. Um, mm-hmm. Powerful and intriguing and um, smart and ambitious. And I, I like all those things. But I just, this chapter specifically, yeah, I think, you know, she's got some, she's got some major flaws going on. Yep. And sometimes that makes you like them even more. True. So I agree with you. Uh, incredibly interesting, and there's some issues there. Um, I think that's about it. I think you know a, a theme of the whole episode of this whole episode, episode fifty six, uh, was is you are not your white cloak, sir. Um, I was thinking through the other chapters too, and maybe we can touch on them as we go through them. But from Brienne to Lamore to uh, Tyrion to Davos, um, I, I love that line. There are actually a lot of really good lines in this chapter, just one-liner type things. But you are not your white cloak, Sarah's is a really cool thing. You're you're more than uh, your title, mm-hmm. right? Yep. Or more than those outward things. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the other line similar to that, unclad, we are our truest selves. I love that line. Dave Matthews says almost the same thing in one of his songs. Uh, he says, naked you will see that we are all the same. Oh, if you please forget what you believe. And naked you will see that we are all the same. So, um... I, I think that I think that's a something to pay attention to as we go throughout the episode is this idea of you are more than your title or your position or something like that. So um let's see. Anything else? Uh not for me, no. This is where I had Yeah, I definitely had a lot of thoughts about Ariane, but I think we got them all out. So Yeah. Cool. Should we move on to Brienne then? Yeah, let's do it. Another interesting young lady. Yes. <clears throat> okay, here we go. If you could see what we could see Oh, I swear you would believe Conviction, grace, and pride It's where the beauty resides You don't have to hide behind the lights Oh, your fate, they can't decide Brienne, you'll always be a beauty to me. The beauty journeys toward Maidenpool through her memories. For it was on this road that she, Jamie, and Cleos were attacked. And her life, as well as Jamie's, forever changed. Well, Cleos, too, for that matter. Uh, Brienne is forced to admit that there may still be outlaws. It'll all be okay, though, because her new squire, Pod, insists that he can fight. Then, of course, we get the unfortunate tale of Pod, which Brian has no doubt wheedled out of him <laughs> for many sittings. Uh, from a lesser branch of House Payne, abandoned by his mother, his father's killed. He's raised by cousins, basically as a servant. Uh, his attending knight killed. He then just latches on like a barnacle to the nearest hedge knight he can find. That dude was hanged for being a douchebag and stealing food from the, from the train. Uh, but noble Sir Kevin Lannister... Uh, saw the boy's position and recognized the family name and sent him off to squire for Tyrion, who treated him better than anyone else. Thus, you know, the whole loyalty thing. 
But here's the thing. It's a miracle the boy lived lived at all on the Blackwater, according to Brienne. His training was shite. Brienne was training him now, though, and he was an attentive learner and eager for more lessons. So, you know, the potential's there. But uh, pretty surprising that, that he lived, according to Brienne. As they travel, they find a cart up ahead. It's just small folk making their way, but Brienne and Pod stick with them to Maidenpool, giving a little gossip in exchange for the protection. Lord Tarly is kicking ass surrounding Maidenpool, and Dickon, his son, is set to marry a maiden of the pool. Upon arriving, the eggs the farmers had planned to give for the wedding are criminally taken by some soldiers. The farmer's wife's fate would have been the same if not for Brienne, who steps in as they start to carry her off. She's as intimidating as she can be, but they call her bluff, bluff, surround her, ready to attack. Honestly, Bran would have been toast if not for an old enemy interceding, Sir Hyle Hunt. Sir Hyle indicates that this is Brienne, daughter of the Lord of Tarth, slayer of Renly. But hey, don't arrest her. How many of us were traitors a while ago, you know? Like, let's let her go. We were all have some sins in the closet. Brienne is hardly thankful to Sir Hyle, though. She straight up hates this dude. <laughs> like, straight up, now tell me, is it going to be you versus me forever? Oh, oh, oh. Or are you just having fun? We'll get that story later. Sir Hyle follows them on the way in, demanding an apology. She says, one day I'll thank you in a melee, sir. But Sir Hyle is undeterred. He's far too interested in their business. He inquires about it, but Brienne is cagey enough not to tell him, only that she seeks a man in the stinking goose. Still, though, he's... Following along with the puppy dog, he's going to go with them to see Lord Tarly. Lord Tarly. He rules in an anti-Ned fashion. Claiming fingers, claiming money that can't be paid from poor people, threatening torture. But, you know, his methods seem effective enough for the people that live through them, I guess. Um, Bran eventually is called on for judgment after he deals with some of the lesser crimes, crimes going on. Stuttering and stammering before the great Lord Tarly, he basically asks her flat out if she killed Renly. No. But you didn't stop it either. At which point we get a scathing rebuke of Brienne's entire life from Paige Tarly. From Tarly. And I'm just going to read that real quick. So he says... You never should have donned mail, nor buckled on a sword. You never should have left your father's hall. This is a war, not a harvest wall. By all the gods, I had to ship you back to Tarth. Wow. Basically, <gasps> yeah, basically, Brienne, fuck your life. Um, but he realizes he can't actually stop her when he inspects her written from Tommen, her writ from Tommen. Um, she's on a mission for the crown to find Sansa. And Tarly indicates that he's sure is shooting that Sansa's not here, that he would have gone north to be with Stark Bannerman. Brienne counters that she could be in the Vale with her Aunt Lysa. Oh, honey, you didn't know Lysa was dead? Tarly gruffly sends her on her way, do whatever you will. In frustration and anger, Brienne dismisses the seemingly helpful Hyle Hunt, who was offered to escort her to the Stinking Goose. What's the deal with all this Hyle hate? Finally, finally we get this tale as Brienne waits for Nimble Dick at the appropriately named Stinking Goose. Seriously, this sounds like the worst bar ever. Uh, so briefly, Brienne immediately joined Renly's forces upon Renly's coronation. She expected mockery and disdain from everybody. Like, she wasn't... <laughs> she had she had no uh, expectations of being accepted. Instead, though, they put on a full court press of courtship. They gave her gifts. They went riding with her. They sing her songs... Even uh, Hyle himself trained with her. One dude stole a kiss from her, like, without even asking. She's never been accustomed to this kind of treatment, and she rebuffed all of it. 
Like, she's like, this is, this. there's something weird going on. She rebuffed all of it. Eventually, though, she was summoned to Lord Tarley himself, who told her about the wager. His son Dickon had reported that any man interested donates a dragon, and the man that claimed her maidenhood gets the purse. Tarly feared for her safety as the purse just kept getting bigger and bigger as she kept saying no more and more times. So here's the kicker of this whole thing. He doesn't blame these asshole, asshat men for creating this wager. He blames Brienne for the whole thing. A war host is no place for a maiden. Her mere presence emboldened these honorable men. Yikes. Anyway... Dick Crab does show up, and for an increasing amount of silver, reveals that he did help a fool, and two companions arranged for a way out of the strictly controlled port town. The fool was nervous about Tarly men, and he couldn't risk the docks where a passenger could find passage, so uh, Dick sent him to a smuggler's cove. A smuggler's cove that, have, smuggler's cove that hasn't been used in decades. Cracklaw Point. And he can take Brienne there for a price. The only lead she has, Brian barters and relents, offering him six dragons, if they find them. Off they go. That's the end of the chapter. Oh, I hate Randall Tarley so I know. much. I know. He's not just a shitty dad, he's like shitty to everyone. <laughs> I just hate him. Well, and what's worse is he gets stuff done. It would be, like, easy yeah. to hate him yeah. if Maidenpool was just still in ruin. But instead, it's being rebuilt, and it's, like, as good as ever, and people are working, and, yeah. and like, stuff's getting done. Like, his his methods are apparently effective in the sense that things are moving forward. Yeah. I kind of gleaned right over most of all that stuff, just because, damn, my chapter summaries are too long anyway. But... Yeah, the the town is being rebuilt effectively. Like the men are not just drunk and dicing and whoring. Like they're Brienne can't believe it. Yeah, they're they're building things. Like they're they're rebuilding yep. the town. It's pretty impressive. But yeah, what an asshat. So does that make his methods okay? Like, no, no <sighs> of course not. But yeah, he's terrible. He's terrible. But. <clears throat> I don't know that we need to even go into it too much. Oh. If you don't know why he's terrible, then, then I don't know if I can help you. Yes, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so what uh, what what do you think about Sir Hyle? You know, do you think he feels bad? Is that why he's kind of attached himself to Brienne? Is this is this the way he treated her before? Kind of sticking with him has stuck with him for all this time. And now he kind of sees a way of like, maybe is this his way of saying, sorry, maybe know. a little bit. So I, I kind of, I kind of like Heil a little bit and I can't, I, I'll be brutally honest. I can't remember everything that he does. I know, mm. I know the vague strokes of where he goes and stuff um, mm -hmm. and what he does, but I don't remember the specifics um, and like how he does it and how he uh, conducts himself. So, I'm I'm a little in the dark, but he feels to me like that jock bully that yeah. that runs into the nerd five years after graduation or ten years after graduation and mm -hmm. doesn't understand why the nerd doesn't want to be a friend with him because mm. like you bullied me for five years like why would I want to be friends with you, dude? We know each other. Yeah, I I had a there was a guy I was I was a soccer player all through middle school and high school. 
and there was this guy, Matt, I can't even remember his last name, and, uh... Thacker. No, it was not, nope. Uh, <laughs> he was, like, a big football guy, big football guy, and, like, would just torment me to no end, not, no physical abuse, just, like, torment me to no end about how soccer was such a pussy sport, and, like, dude, you should play a real sport, and, like, all this stupid bullshit stuff, and, you know, I just shrug it off or whatever, as if I was... As if I was that together in middle school. I'm sure it affected me deeply. But, you know, we never got in fights or anything. Um, and then one day, like, I see him at, like, these uh, these these tryouts for, like, this high-level soccer team in the Valley. I'm like, what the hell, man? And the next day at school, he's, like, wearing soccer gear. And, like, I'm like, what, what the hell are you doing? He gives me a big smile, like, tries to talk to me. I'm like, you can't, we're not going to be friends now. This doesn't fix like, this. this. Yeah, this doesn't just disappear. Uh-huh. Like, there's history here, man. And so, while I like Sir Heil a little bit, because it, it does seem like he's trying to maybe not be a dick, uh, there's still a major problem here that needs to be worked off, right? Yeah, yeah. And I think we're... we're we're more in agreement than, than maybe I was thinking at first. Uh, I, I think that, I think that Heil is that same thing that you're describing about your old high school associate. And I think that maybe even that kid in high school felt a little bad, but still too prideful to say he's sorry or something. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. No, there was never an apology. And, yeah. No, I'm sure there wasn't. Yeah. And there probably won't ever be. Uh, <laughs> All I can think about is the scene from Billy Madison. Do you remember the people to kill list? <laughs> yeah, where <laughs> Billy calls that guy and he apologizes to him, and then he yeah he uh, he crosses Billy's name off the people to kill list and ends yeah. up saving him in the end. Spoiler alert! Indeed, man, I'm glad I called that guy. But <clears throat> yeah, I thought of that guy. He like and crosses you know, him Sir off Heil... the list and puts lipstick all over himself. And you're like, <laughs> he puts that guy. lipstick. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just the classic early Adam Sandler movie. Famous actor. That guy. Uh, I'm blanking on him now. What is his freaking name? I don't know. It's I've the lost it. Boardwalk Empire guy. Yeah. He's on freaking everything. Yeah, yeah. I've lost it. It's gonna bother me until I until I know. Yeah. Uh, stand by, stand by. People uh, are screaming his name at us. Right yeah, now. yeah. They're yelling and <laughs> yelling into their mic. Come on. <laughs> It's just that guy. He dies in like every show he's in. He was, yeah, he was uh, in Armageddon. You knew that. Yeah, he's in Lebowski. Yeah, he's... yep. Steve Buscemi. Buscemi. Gosh, yes! dang it, Buscemi. <laughs> we love you, Steve. If you're a listener, we just we just blanked on your name for a minute. We just totally blanked on your name. <laughs> uh, anyways. Um, but you know, and also taking it back to the high school days, cause that's what I thought of with Heil Hunt too. These were young guys, right? And that's no excuse for treating a woman bad. Yep. But, uh, as, as was it Catlin that described him as the boys of some, no, that's a song, the nights of summer Yes. or whatever, yes. summer nights. Yep. And who knows what kind of growing Heil's done. Um, but yeah, he, I think he's got some things to work out. Yeah, there's a beautiful line in there. Uh, the nights of summer, and now it was autumn, and they were falling like leaves. Falling like leaves, indeed. Yep. 
Oh, speaking of Heil, I loved how when they were, you know, when she first encounters Heil again at the, the gates entering into Maidenpool and she stands up, uh, Brienne stands up to all the guards at the gate for the, uh, for that man and the woman, yep. uh, the peasants. And she pulls out her sword and everything. She's ready to defend these people. Heil comes out, defuses the whole situation. And who does the, the peasant guy thank? You're a true knight. It's plain to see. Yeah. Nothing to Brienne. Yeah. Nothing to her. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, this is just classic. Yep. Just classic. Uh, what else? Uh, well, just real quick, there's a. I, I, I like to throw these out there every once in a while just because I, 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 think, I, I think I said like way early in our podcast, like, it feels like everyone's forgotten the others, and and actually that seems like that's what would happen because eight year eight thousand years is a really really long time. Like right. we don't remember anything that happened eight thousand years ago, hardly. Nope. Um, but there's another's reference here, way down way down in Maidenpool, uh, mm-hmm. the guy with the cart. May the others take them all. Others take them all. It seems it, it's kind of a it's a it's a curse, right? It's a yeah. Yep. It's uh it's not a curse word, but yeah, the phrase is is seems to be Westeros wide. So Yeah, but it's it's maintained itself uh through mm-hmm. eight thousand years. So yeah. reasonably impressive. Totally. Eight thousand years. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. <sighs> Hundred years seems like forever ago. Indeed. Yeah. Um Podrick. How about this kid? Yeah. Right? Yep. Tough yeah. life. Yeah. Write Incredibly him a, tough life. R- write him a song. He should. Yeah. He should. Bob Dylan could really do something with Podrick. <clears throat> Ryan Adams. Oh, yeah. We get a Ryan, good Ryan Adams uh, Podrick Payne song. But I, I love his line where Brienne's like, I'm not going to go easy on you, kid, when they're learning how to sword fight. Yeah. And Podrick... I want that. The bruises and the blisters, I mean. I mean, I don't, but I do. Yeah. (laughs) What a good kid, right? Yeah. (sighs) Yeah, he does a good job with the horses. Uh, Yeah, I mean, it'll be interesting to see where where Pod goes. Um, He's Mm -hmm. certainly a a character that has had his share of sand kicked in his face. Um, And he's kind of come out of it still with an okay perspective on things for sure. I think he, I've, I've been trying, I was trying to get down to the root of him uh, as I, I just tried to spend a little bit of time thinking about him. And, and I wonder if he just, he recognizes where his, uh, the type of people that his mother and his father were. Um, mm. And, and he just wants his life to be valuable, to be worth something unlike them. You know, did he know them? And, I don't. I don't. I didn't see in the history like when they left him. Not really. Uh, he was four when his mom left. Yeah. Okay. And his dad was gone before then. And his dad was gone before that. Yeah. And you know, he wasn't anything special to his uh, was his uncle or a, I think it was a cousin of his dad who took him in yep. or something like that. He wasn't anything special to that guy. Uh, and that guy didn't sound like he was all that special either. But I think being with Tyrion, you know, as as flawed as Tyrion is, I think that was a really 
uh, formative experience for for Pod in the sense that here's a guy who's hand of the king, and yes, he's a dwarf, and yes, he's not well liked, but he's still in a position of power. And even though I Podrick him the way that I am, because I think Podrick's aware that he's very awkward. Um, even though I'm this way, you still want to keep me around. You still want me to tell you the who the the banners are for those people that are coming towards us, and you know, it makes you feel valuable. Like you have people are expecting things of you, you know? And I, I like Podrick that way. Yeah. I think he's trying to be valuable. So, yep. Uh, I want to say, I'm going to say one thing about, uh, this, this whole business with, uh, Lysa being dead and Sansa no longer being there. You can say one thing. Well, it it doesn't change anything for for Brienne. Lysa wasn't dead when Sansa would have left, so hmm. her her logic is still. I don't think hearing that news change anything for her. She could still be there, having gone there thinking her aunt would protect her. Yep. Just because Lysa's dead now, <laughs> right? Doesn't change anything. Mm-hmm. Like she, what I mean is like she seems very frustrated and disappointed after hearing that news. But, like yeah, there goes that idea. Right, but the, the idea is still on the table. the The idea right. happened months ago for Sansa. I don't know how long, what the time it really is. Weeks or months ago for Sansa when she left. You know, the still it's still a reasonable path to to look. Yep. Uh, and is Brienne just starting to lose? Is she starting to get frustrated, flustered? Uh jaded i don't know i don't i don't think so i would uh i don't know it seems like she's still going strong yeah she's still i mean she's you know she's got the lead with with nibble dick and i think she's i think the tarly thing was an annoyance it's like oh shit i'm gonna have to deal with this before before i can just go follow my lead right Mm -hmm. um but no i I think she's still i think she's still nose to the grindstone yeah i think she's Mm -hmm. all right well, that's, uh, you know, we talked about, is it Brienne's last chapter where he talks about how Brienne just never gave up. She could outwork her opponents when she was practicing fighting, right? Yeah. She could, she could outwork anybody and she was still standing after they retired. Yep. And that's just her, uh, Dick Crab, best STD name in all of A Song of Ice and Fire. It's pretty good. It's pretty yeah. good. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Concierge Nimble Dick, right? I can hook you up. I can hook you up. I'll hook you up. I can, yeah. uh, yeah, you need some, how about this? How about that? A little of this, a little of that. The real hero. Yeah, yeah. The Song of Ice and Fire. How about, how I about, don't... How about Dickon? You kind of want to hate Dickon, because, you know, Sam. But Kit mm-hmm. kind of seems maybe like he's cool. Is that possible? Uh, we don't have a ton of info on no. him. No, but he kind of, but uh... He stepped in with the with the with the game, right? He could have just let that shit go. Yeah, he went and told Dad about that. Yeah. You have to wonder how much, if any, he protested to um, the preferential treatment that Randall gave him when Sam was still around. Yeah, somebody write that I mean, fanfic. Uh, on one hand, you don't you don't go against Randall Tarley, yeah. especially if you're on the positive side of the spectrum right yeah. <laughs> randall likes you take it's... the sun's golden rays while you can get them 
that's a very apt description, yes, <clears throat> or applicable. Um, but on the other hand, you got to feel a little bit of guilt seeing your big brother being treated that way. So um, I'm not saying he should have handled it one way or the other, but it would be interesting to see that dynamic of, of Dickon. Yeah. I was surprised at the, speaking of Dickon, of the uh, the marriage arrangement. Yeah, seems like something Tarly wouldn't have accepted. Right. Given the I mean, relative strength of Maidenpool, or what I perceive that to be anyway. Well, Maidenpool, it's, it's strategically located. It's a good port town and everything, and it's fairly wealthy, if not huge. It's definitely not a major house. Yeah. Right, but interesting that it's in uh it's kind of on the crown land still, right straddling the line actually between the crownlands and the riverlands uh and and with a few exceptions, mostly you kind of stick to marriage alliances within your lands, right <clears throat> depends on what your goals that, are Matt exactly, and uh that's interesting, but you'd you'd expect a tarly wedding to maybe reaching out to high garden or. Uh, Ashford or some of these other places, but uh, even down to Old Town. Yeah. But uh, so interesting that he's going clear out to Maidenpool. But Agreed. Yeah. There's it, it, definitely some strategic reasons that that could be happening. Yeah, to be honest, like we know that Tarly is a, a brutally effective military man. We know mm-hmm. they have this legendary sword, Heartsbane. So they've mm-hmm. got some prestige in that family, yeah. but I don't know anything about, is it? Uh, what's their house? What's their castle? Hornhill. Hornhill. I don't think about Hornhill as like, you know, they've got vast stores of gold or, you know, like, like what they're, what they're about. They may be Mm -hmm. a more, uh, humble house in terms of, uh, assets, you know, than, than some others. I don't know. I got the impression that they are like, uh, like upper middle class. Yeah. You know? Right. So maybe, so maybe, uh, maybe I was 180 off on Maidenpool. Maybe it's a huge step up for them, you know. Like, com- like commerce-wise, the uh-huh. coppers are going to flow for them, whereas they aren't used to that. Yeah, uh, I think Maidenpool, in terms of you know militarily, the strength isn't mighty and stuff like that. But uh, economically, Maidenpool is 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 strategically a good choice. So. He, might, Tarly himself, also might see like this fucking dude's a pushover. Yeah. <laughs> Maidenpool yeah, will be mine within a year. <laughs> there won't be any problems yeah. between bickering father-in-laws right. uh, yeah. with this stuff. Yeah. yeah, for sure. And, you know, Dickon has a son, and that son is now, well, actually, oh, this is an interesting thing to think about. Who takes Horn Hill then and who takes Maidenpool? Randall Tarley's got one son. He marries Dickon off to, uh, I forget her name now. The Maidenpool gal, mm-hmm. Mooton gal. Mm-hmm. What happens? Depends. Mm. Depends on what Mooton has in the way of sons, uh, which I don't remember. Which we don't know. We actually only know that of this daughter. Oh, we do know that he. Uh, actually, we do know he had two sons and they died. So in the war. So he's counting on this daughter inheriting, perhaps. Yeah. <clears throat> so it's just interesting to think about. There's two places. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah, but if if is, uh, I mean if if he's planning on Dick and inheriting this, wow, well, we're off the rails here. <laughs> we're talking yeah. about some really well, crazy shit. So, yeah. but if if he's talking about Dick and inheriting, if, if the daughter inheriting Maidenpool, 
All Dickens uh-huh. got to do is kick out two sons, and then they can have yep. both places. And then they've got both, yeah. right? And and Dickens can do whatever he wants. He can rule uh, Maidenpool and Hornhill. Sure. He can split his time. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Expansion. Yep. Eleanor Mooton. I just looked at my notes to remind myself of her name. Eleanor Mooton. Uh, <laughs> I, I think I just missed a reference. Uh, Eleanor Mootenvelt. It was one of my worst ones ever. I don't know who that is. Roosevelt. Eleanor Roosevelt. It was. Never mind. I'm, I'm such an idiot. <laughs> oh, I'm such an idiot. No, I mean it was a terrible reference. I don't think you should. Well done. Feel that bad well about done. missing it. <laughs> On that note, are we done with Brienne? I am think? so done with Brienne. <laughs> Into this deep dive episode? into House Tarly and House Mooton. Yeah. <laughs> Didn't think you were getting that, did you, Kalisar? Uh, oh, boy. Bam! Sorry about that, guys. Well, now we get a really fun chapter. Moving to Bran, right? Moving to Bran. This is, this is a... This is a diesel chapter. This one's... Yeah. Yeah. And I actually managed to stay rather uh, time efficient with my summary, I think. So Good. With the intention of lots of chat time. Five, six, seven, eight. Brandon Stark, won't you come back down from that tower your mind's been flying from? Your legs don't work, but they don't really need to work when that third eye's showing you new ways unexplored. And the summer's gonna come, you know it's gonna come, summer's gonna come, and boy, you're gonna fly away. Okay, so here we go with Brand's uh, chapter. Night is fast approaching, and the entrance to the cave is just a thousand yards away. Ten American football fields. Uh, Seems like a long way, but for an exhausted, starving, frostbitten crew that's been trekking for the last how many books, uh, their end goal just seems painfully close. Now, their only obstacles. It's uphill. Jojen can barely move. And the cold is is menacing something is out there uh the cave cold hands informs bran hodor mira and jojen is warded meaning nothing undead can pass there including unfortunately him cold hands he can't go in the cave so they just need to get there and they're going to be safe they finally decide to go for it, uh, with Cold Hands, Hodor, Bran, and Summer leading the way, and Mira kind of carrying Jojen some distance behind them as she's able. She's just kind of like, go ahead, uh, I'll get there if I get there. But Bran, you need to get there. They get to within like 60 yards of the cave, close enough to see fire in it, when the attack comes, not from the front, not from behind, not even from the sides like a velociraptor, if you caught the Jurassic Park reference there, but from below the snow. The hand of a white reaches out and grabs Hodor's leg, sending Hodor and Bran tumbling down the hill. All around them, whites suddenly rise from the snow, some even dressed in the ragged remains of black cloaks, hmm? and attack the still-living party. Cold Hands, Summer, and Mira fight bravely, but the odds seem overwhelming, and darkness has all but fallen. Uh, The difference maker comes when Bran, almost without thinking, skin changes into the frightened-to-death Hodor and goes berserker 
on the whites, cutting a path for them to make one final mad dash to the cave. Uh, and the last thing Bran notices before he kind of blacks out is that the whites seem to be on fire. Who set them all on fire? But the next thing he knows, Bran wakes up and he's lying in the cave, back in his own skin and in one piece. Even better, his comrades are all with him, except for cold hands, of course. Their attention turns to their apparent rescuer, a child, but not. Uh, she was of the stature of a small girl with large, slitted eyes, uh, tangled hair of different colors, and in the voice, however, of a woman grown. We just met everybody, our, chi uh, the, our first child of the forest. We've seen him. We've heard about him forever. Now one's right in front of Bran and Co. Uh, or as they're known in their own tongue, those who sing the song of the earth. She's walked the earth, she claims, for some 200 years, and she knows Bran by name. So without much more by way of introduction from this child of the forest, she beckons them to follow her for, quote, he is waiting for you, she says, the green seer. So deep into the caves they go, down winding paths that network in all sorts of different directions, and around them are huge roots winding through the earth like large snakes. Uh, Bran concludes there must be a whole grove of weirwood trees above them, wherever above them is now. Um, they go further, deeper, until they come to him. So I'm going to read the passage to describe him because it is hauntingly crazy and weird and beautiful. It says, Before them, a pale lord in ebon finery sat dreaming in a tangled nest of roots, a woven weirwood throne that embraced his withered limbs as a mother does a child. His body was so skeletal and his clothes so rotted that at first Bran took him for another corpse, a dead man propped up so long that the roots had grown over him, under him, and through him. What skin the corpse lord showed was white, save for a bloody blotch that crept up his neck onto his cheek. His white hair was fine and thin as root hair, and long enough to brush against the earthen floor. Roots coiled around his legs like wooden serpents. One burrowed through his breeches into the desiccated flesh of his thigh to emerge again from his shoulder. A spray of dark red leaves sprouted from his skull, and gray mushrooms spotted his brow. A little skin remained, stretched across his face, tight and hard as white leather, but even that was fraying, and here and there the brown and yellow bone beneath was poking through. Ooh. Uh, the first question, yeah, right? Stuff growing through him, that's the craziest. But anyways, the first question Bran asks the tree man uh, is if he's the three-eyed crow. A crow, the man replies, once I, black of garb and black of blood. He then reveals to Bran that he's been watching him for a long time. He saw his birth. He saw Eddard's birth. He saw Bran's first step, heard his first word, was with him when he fell, being pushed by Jamie. Bran then, rather uh, pitifully, asks if the man will fix his legs. And the tree man disappointingly says no, and adds that Bran will never walk again. But, the man promises Bran, 
you will fly. And that's where the chapter ends. What? Whoa. Dude, first of all, was that a Clerks Berserker reference in there? Nailed it. <laughs> because I knew you'd get it. Oh man. Because you said that and then I started thinking about the lyrics for that song. And in the middle of in the middle of that chapter, he's like, What would Mira say if if I told her I loved her right now? And so what I want to hear now is Hodor saying My love for you is ticking fuck berserker. Would you like some making fuck berserker? My love for you is like a truck belzaka. Would you like some making fuck belzaka? That's fucking funny, man. Did he say making fuck? <laughs> That's what I want to hear from Hoder as he declares his love for Mira. Sorry, we'll sorry, everyone, for in, you're gonna have to indulge Matt and I our clerk's love here. Yep, yep. We haven't done a Kevin Smith thing in a while, so we haven't. Thank you for we doing it. We got it in there. Thank you. You're welcome. Yeah. You're very welcome. This was uh, after like a whole book, pretty much, of boring brand chapters. <laughs> and yes, I said it, brand fans. Yeah. Boring brand chapters. Losing fans left and right this here. This one was insane. Like whites rising from the snow and grabbing them oh my gosh it was so cool i loved reading it absolutely enchanted by it but uh but yeah they escaped that and uh now back to more boring brand chapters i guess we'll find out but we'll find out he seems to be relatively safe but hopefully getting some answers which will be very cool yeah i mean i don't i don't know if there's if there's a ton to like take away from the sprint up the mountain Mm -hmm. um one thing that i I thought was interesting was uh the cold hands blessing in a strange tongue Mm -hmm. i don't hear many people in the fandom talk about that what uh what does that mean i mean there's 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 theories abound about who cold hands is and a lot of people are just so bored of it they're like look he's just a fucking night's watchman somewhere which is fine uh, but why does he speak in a strange tongue? Where does he get that from? Yeah, what tongue is it? Yeah. 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 Anyway, I just th- I thought it was interesting. Um, yeah. Maybe it's a, a, a children of the forest type language. Maybe it is. It would obviously be very strange to Bran, but um, it's very probable that Cold Hands has had <clears throat> some sort of interaction with them. So we've never talked about cold hands before. Uh, I don't think to any real depth. Like, how do you think he got the way he? Like, is he being driven by this seer under the under the hill? Mm-hmm. Uh, that that seems to you know we, we've seen the crows or whatever that seem to be driven by some sort of control, right? Is he also just driven by that that level of control by who, whoever's doing that, or or is he, you know, like a white that has some sort of extra perception that allows him to not be controlled by by others somehow yeah he's got the blue eyes right yeah right yeah he seems like a white in pretty much every way he's got the 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 uh the black hands right like the black the, hands the white yeah yep. from the congealed blood right <clears throat> uh and we, we can't put it past this this strange tree dude but it would you'd think that 
controlling an actual man in terms of being able to speak through him and everything would take a tremendous amount of skill. Yes. So, right. uh, you know, of the of the sort that we haven't seen yet. Right. So, uh, you know, and we've had a very small sample size, basically just Bran and uh, Varamir <clears throat> and yeah. sort of John. <laughs> we know Bran can... can uh can uh take Hodor's skin and say Hodor. You got it. <laughs> so he can he can elicit speech, but it's not complex speech yeah. and thoughts like 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 Cold Hand seems to have, so we, we just don't know maybe. Right. But But that is that is fascinating. Is is Cold Hands uh, serving the children of the forest and this man under the hill? Or And where did he learn he this tongue? It? Yeah. Yeah, is or is he doing this for some reason that's his own? Yeah. You know, it'll be interesting to see. Uh, for now, it appears Cold Hands is out of the narrative, though. Yeah, yeah, I would, I would take so. that to be, take that to be true. Uh, yeah, hmm. that that uh, that race up the up the up the mountain is pretty intense. I, there's a there's a part there where Mira's looking up the hill. She's like, the way looks clear. <laughs> and of course, it isn't. There's a you know right when they say <laughs> that, that the way the way ain't gonna be clear. There's a bit in the movie Pitch Black where, uh, if you guys have seen Pitch Black, but basically it's a planet of complete darkness. But the main character has the ability to like see better in the dark. And he's they're like, how does it look? He's like, looks clear. And they stand up and like these things like swarm around them, and they're like. They go away. And they're like, "How's it look? Still looks clear." <laughs> it's, like, it's like, what? What are you gonna? What do you think you're gonna see when you look up that hill? It's like, right? They're not gonna be stupid enough to be like, you know, like hanging out, waiting for you. Uh huh. Come on up, guys. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but awfully fascinating. Um, great fight scene. Uh. We get that little glimpse. You mentioned the line of Bran wondering what would happen if he told Mira that he loved her. Yeah. Oh, just a little oh. a little moment of absolute humanity in this chaotic climb for 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 their life, right? Right. Yeah. And 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 uh Mira and Jojen ready to ready to just die. Yeah, basically. They got Bran where they needed to get him. Yeah. And and their work is done. That's kind of cool. Like she was ready to just stay down there with Jojen. Yep. I I think when she sent when she said go on ahead, I don't think she planned on making it to the cave. Yeah. I really don't. But... No, I agree. It, it seems like a a total uphill battle. <laughs> is that too much? <laughs> Brooke groan. Yeah. <clears throat> <laughs> uh, Bran an asked an interesting question. He wondered while he was in Hodor's skin, what would happen if the white killed him? Would he stay inside Hodor? Oh yeah. Would he go back to summer or would he just be dead? And we got some clues from Varamir's trap chapter. Mm-hmm. Um, we find out from Varamir that we know that uh, a warg can live a second life inside of an animal that, or a 
being that mm-hmm. he's already controlled, but how the decision is made is not entirely clear. Like yeah. which animal you're going to go into, right? Yeah, but if you're already in so, one, is the choice just made? Stay in that one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. like Varamir ended up in uh, uh, One Eye, right? After the thistle, the failed thistle experiment. Um, but he didn't seem to have like conclusively settled on one eye as his second life host. It was like, after he was thrown out of thistle, he was like thrown around nature for a while. And then all of a sudden he just like ended up in one eye. Well, Um, it felt like a little more controlled than that. I I feel like when it was, when he was being thrown through nature, as you said, he kind of noticed some available vehicles. You know, like he could sense there were squirrels or what, I think it was squirrels. He references, yeah, whatever. squirrels and owls and, and stuff like that. But he was yeah. like looking for the thing that he wanted. You said that it had to be someone you've you've done before, I think. But I don't I don't know that that's true. He probably could have tried one of those squirrels or owls. Uh, but he knew he, he, he had He did a... try Thistle. He did he'd th- never been inside her. Right, true. Yeah. Um, so it's easier for sure if, if you have done it before. But I imagine... Imagine he could have done one of those owls, but he was looking. He mentioned earlier in that Varamir chapter that that one eye would probably be the one he chose. It, he he. It's uh, let's see. I had it up here somewhere, but maybe I've lost it already. Um, yeah, he did not want to spend his new life and as a as a bitch. He says right. uh, stalker might suit him better. The younger male, though, one eye was larger and fiercer, and it was one eye who took Sly whenever she went into heat. Right. And that was, that's it. That's when he stopped. So, yeah, that's why I said conclusively. Yeah, yeah. He hadn't, we don't get conclusive proof that he had, like, settled on her. True. But, yeah. Um, yeah. And then True Death came suddenly. Uh, yeah. So, Horned Owl, Varamir was inside the owl, inside the hare, inside the trees, deep below the frozen ground. Earthworms burrowed blindly in the dark, and he was in them as well. He was, like, everything for a little bit. Mm-hmm. And then... True death came suddenly, and then he found himself rushing over moonlit snows with his packmates close behind. Yeah. It was like, boom, and he knew he was in one eye. So, I don't know. It'd, it'd be interesting to know where uh, where Bran would end up. Yeah. If he would stay in Hodor. He's got, obviously, the stronger connection with Summer. Would he go to Summer? I'd kind of like to think he would, but... Yeah, uh, but I guess it's speculation yeah. and really not that important. But yeah, no, that's interesting to think about. So, are we ready to talk about this pale lord of the Ebon Finery? Yeah, let's talk about him. Well, so, so the first time I read this, like, um, I didn't know I, I didn't put together anything about about who this might be or, or anything. I, I don't like, think a first time reader really would, to tell you the truth, unless they've been paying super close attention through yeah. the series. Yeah, I don't I didn't feel guilty about missing this one. Um but I will say the moment I heard it I was like, Oh, this guy's just gonna straight up murder Bran right now. And I blame Disney for that. They've taught me over the years <laughs> that like ugly people can't be trusted. Right? Uh-huh. And so I yeah, I was like, this is not this is not going to go well. And I'll tell you this, on the reread, I still feel that way. <laughs> I still feel like I don't trust this guy. Right. I don't. Yep. It's too, it's, it's too horror filmy for me to put aside. Like, it, it's, it, I, I can't, I don't trust it. Well, even the, the stuff about how he's seen 
Bran his whole life. That's just creepy to me. Yeah. That that wouldn't be comforting to me. That would be like, you're not making me comfortable right now. Well. I need, I need you to take two steps back. I mean, you certainly believe that uh, your deity has been with you through your whole life, right? So if, Indeed. So maybe like... Maybe it's it's like that. It's like I've been I've been guiding you along. When there were uh-huh. only one pair of footprints in the sand, it it's was me carrying, I was carrying you. you. Yeah, 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 right. Yeah. I, I mean, maybe maybe Bran feels it that way. Like I've always needed this guide, and but but I don't feel that way. <laughs> I mean, I feel like mm-hmm. this guy is going to straight up murder him or something. I, it it doesn't seem maybe not murder, but use him in some way. It doesn't it yeah. doesn't feel right to me. There's an ominous feeling around this guy for sure. Yeah, it's it's nothing it's nothing in the text that I can point to directly. It's a feeling that George has conveyed to me with the way he's written it. And I th- yeah, the way he's written it makes it purposeful. Yeah. He doesn't want you to feel good about this. Right. Uh, yeah, and throughout it you think of this three-eyed crow that he's going to go meet, I, I picture like this Gandalf or Yoda type character. Yeah. And this is not that those things <laughs> no doesn't no oh i mean yoda like could be creepy i could see people <laughs> thinking yoda's creepy uh-huh. but i mean all the, all the i mean uh, so all, all those skulls on the way in it's like there are thousands probably of dead things that we're stepping on that totally reminded me of Temple of Doom, by the way. I don't know why. Me too. Yeah. <laughs> I thought the exact same thing. Really? Yep. Yeah. Uh, but, like, like that has to put some sort of sense of... Uh, there are a lot of dead things in here. Like, how did they get here and how did they die? And Why, yeah. Like, that Why would put dead? me on edge. My first question would not have been like, Hey, are, are you the Green Seer or the Three-Eyed Crow or whatever? It would have been... What's up with the bones, man? Am I going to live to eat another meal? Yeah, right. Yeah. You know, I mean, I guess he's been told, you know, since Hodor step one of this journey from Jojen that this is all legit. But, man, I I think I'd be starting to question some things at this moment. Yep. I agree. Yeah. On the other hand, they've come all this way. Yeah, what are you going to do? What else can you do? Yeah, we get a sense of that from Davos in a couple chapters as well. Yep. If we die, we die, but that's it. Yep. We're here. Yep. And, of course, the promise to teach Bran to fly. Yeah. Yeah, so, okay, so I'll I'll just flip it 180 the other way. So this impending sense of doom, the way it's written, I don't trust it, all this stuff. At the same time, you know... He's put a lot of work in getting him here. He's promising to fly him, uh, or to, to to let him fly. There's a sense from Leaf. Uh, she knew him. That well, that that there's been a lot of care taken. She calls him the Brand Boy. The Brand like, Boy. Like this yeah. is a name that's been bandied about the cave for a long time. He's special. Like like when a business has a a certain client that they use a code name for or something. Like that pervades, yeah, you know what I'm saying. That pervades through to you know everywhere, and they just start using this term, and it just represents something. The brand boy, it's like a special. It means something. So that calms me a little bit. That 
that there's a, a, a true special meaning somewhere. Yeah, they didn't just happen upon the cave and surprise everyone right. there. Yeah. That every every action has been directed to getting Bran there clear back to Eddard, apparently. And there's a team of there's, on their radar. There's a team of handlers involved. It's not one crazy dude, right? Mm-hmm. There's a team of handlers. There's cold hands. There's you know leaf. There's these other eyes that they see in the cave, right? Who knows who else? Yeah. Uh, I don't know that there's really anything to talk about. No, I'm done. This is this is an introductory. Well, it's it's a it's a bridge chapter, right? It's the ending of a journey and the start of a new a one. A journey yeah. and a start of a new one. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, I only had one more thing. Uh, Bran as a real knight like would have been fantastic. He steps up into Hodor and like takes charge and like is a beast. Yeah, and like, I think I think George wants us to feel that. Yeah, it adds to the, the tragedy, pain. if we can yeah. call that, of that yeah. of, of Brand's of Brand's arc. Sure, yeah. for sure, agreed. All right, you want to take us to Tyrion? Sure. Cripples and bastards and broken things But the power of the mind can give you wings Drinking and japing and yeah, ladies Tyrion Lannister or Imp, if you please Tyrion is in serious need of a drink Substance dependency is a bitch uh, He awakes stiff, sore, and thirsty He's also stanky, man he, He's not bathing for fear of these huge majestic turtles That might bite him in half And also for fear of judgment from the beautiful scepter that accompanies them along the river he does wake though to a gorgeous morning uh minus the pleasant presence of the gloomy griff Uh, let me just read it because it's it's beautiful hold on a second some wonderful imagery from george on this to the east the first pale light of day suffused the sky above the river the waters of the rhoyne slowly went from black to blue to match the sellsword's hair and beard. Griff got to his feet. As nightingales fell silent, the river larks took up their song. Egrets splashed amongst the reeds and left their tracks across the sandbars. The clouds in the sky were aglow, pink and purple, maroon and gold, pearl and saffron. One looked like a dragon. Just beautiful, man. So... Septalamore emerges to interrupt the beauty of Morn, or perhaps to enhance it with her morning bath mm-hmm. in the river. Tyrion gapes openly, as I imagine he does every morning, noting again her beauty, sass, and some stretch marks that could have only come from childbirth. But he tucks that nugget away for later. They flirt, perhaps too much given her position. Uh, they eat breakfast and watch Duck train young Griff. The Griffin gives as good as he gets here, actually. Um... Uh, eventually shoving, eventually shoulder-shoving Duck into the water. You get the sense Tyrion is coming around a little bit as a, as a person. Uh, away from the spirits, uh, away from his family, he's engaging in banter and seems to get along with the crew. He's even got some new responsibilities that he enjoys, to write down all he knows of dragon lore, hashtag dream job for Tyrion. Uh, he also listens in as young Griff is educated, uh, lending his own thoughts on occasion. They study everything, uh, language, math, history, regional politics, giving this young sellsword son an education that not even many nobles in Westeros can claim. Uh, 
We also get a history of Volantis. Once the mightiest city, mightiest of the free cities, it was eventually subdued as it tried to bite off a little bit more than it could chew. Now the city's run by a triarchy of elected officials of two types. Uh, the trade-focused elephants and the warmongering tigers. Today, two of the three officials are elephants, as has been the case for roughly 300 years, and Volantis lives in peace. Now at the end of the lesson, Tyrion and Halden play Cybass. Tyrion, handily beaten in the past, rises up here, baiting Halden to play again, but this time with something at stake. Secrets. He emerges three hours later with secrets to ponder. Got a secret, secret, secret. Having beaten Halden for the very first time. The Shy Maid creeps past Nysar, where the Roin is joined by a river of nearly equal size. Tyrion is forced to admit its greatness as they pass. No river in Westeros is half this size, and it's still to get bigger. As he admires the river, a giant turtle, the old man of the river, blesses them with his presence, shocking everyone on the boat, and according to some, inspiring good luck. And why not? Gods and wonders always appear to attend the birth of kings. Hmm. Cool line. What's that? So that's a cool line. It is a cool line. It is a cool line. Uh, I don't know if it's true or not, but it's a cool line. It's a cool line. <laughs> sounds good. It sounds sounds wonderful. Uh, who's this king that uh, <laughs> that's been birthed? I don't know if if you want to go into this now, or uh, I, I guess I guess maybe we shouldn't. Um, it's Jesus. It's maybe. Uh, I, I guess I guess what you're led to believe, uh, I don't think this is spoiling, is that the secrets uh, that maybe Tyrion has learned is maybe tied to this mm-hmm. statement of the birth of kings, and we'll we'll leave it at that maybe for for the for mainstream now. part of the podcast and get into it in Dallas yeah. After Dark perhaps. Mm-hmm. I would agree with that. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, but yes, definitely something Tyrion learned. Uh, from his 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 game and uh, secret telling with Halden Halfmaster, because he didn't think about any of that prior to the game. So right, right. So uh, a little a little light started off start the discussion off a little light. Tyrion's mm-hmm. acrobatics return in this chapter. Finally, in what is I think. The first or second appearance we ever see of Tyrion in Game of Thrones. It's a John chapter. Right. Uh, Tyrion tumbles. What is it like off of a low roof or something? He does like a he does like a backflip. Uh, yeah. Off of right. And, yeah. And then for the rest of the several books, he's doing nothing but rubbing the knots from his legs, as if that one <laughs> jump uh, has ruined him or something. Yeah. <laughs> and but here he, he breaks it out again in what is. Uh, <laughs> It's almost like George forgot about it and was like, "Oh yeah, yeah, maybe I'll put it back in." But 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 it also feels uh, to me as a metaphor. Yep. Tyrion's in a mental state where he can do acrobatics, and there's he can do that stuff again. Yeah. He still he still got some fucking baggage going on. He 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 ties it back to Tywin and the whole memory about <laughs> you can't do that. You're you know whatever. So he still got Tywin again. Yeah, yep. we still got some baggage going on, but like. He's at least in a mental state where he's willing to do acrobatics. Remember, a few short chapters ago, he was wanting to fuck one of the servants out of loathing for himself. 
Yeah. I mean, like he's he's come a little bit mentally, and that's uh, that's encouraging. Yeah, you mentioned it in your chapter summary. He's uh, he's going through some 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 rather intense alcohol withdrawals. Yeah, um, he's sobering up, uh, but in the end, he, it's putting him in a good place. I, I really like that you pulled out the metaphor of him doing his acrobatics. Even just little things that he does now that you pick up throughout the chapter, like stealing him the biscuit, stealing the biscuits, and and more so, yeah, that's kind of just cute. Of yeah, you, you just imagine a kid stealing the biscuit, and getting their hand slapped right. uh, by the wooden spoon. But him taking, you know, taking breakfast up to Yandri, it mm-hmm. says that he he filled up some biscuits yep. with bacon and took them up to Yandri, who was yep. steering the ship and couldn't come down. It's just like these little things that he's doing here and there that give you this glimmer of hope for Tyrion after some very dark chapters Yeah, since Tywin's death. Yeah, you mentioned the withdrawals uh, real quick. I want to go back to that. Uh, there's a movie called The Basketball Diaries, which is actually like Leonardo DiCaprio and Mark Wahlberg forever ago. Yeah. Did you see it? Classic. I ha- it's been years. I barely remember it. A but pretty yes, reasonable withdrawal scene in that film. Uh-huh. If you want to torture yourself and watch a withdrawal scene, Kalisar... Uh, check out the basketball diaries with Leonardo DiCaprio. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, sometimes. So I, you know, I don't want to. I don't want to over. I don't want to overstate it. He's still got some issues going on, and it doesn't. I mean, it absolutely doesn't excuse any of the things he's done. But you know, sometimes like all a guy needs is a journey to kind of like reset himself. Yeah. You know, like get out on the road and. Think about some different stuff and try to get some perspective. Um, you know, try to get back to back to a good place mentally. And 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 in in accordance with that, he also gets to pretend he's someone else here, which is fun for him. He kind of needs it. Right. He he hates himself right now. He he really enjoyed building like that backstory right. and stuff. Right? So he gets to pretend yeah. to be somebody else, forget back. how much he hates himself for a little while. Right. But I'm I'm a little worried it also might kind of cheapen the recovery period. So. That's it's interesting what's going on with him. Yeah, because there is a point where you need to confront yourself. Yes. Right. Right. And and he seems to be putting that off a little bit, but you know, one step at a time. One step at a time. Step at a time. You saying that reminded me. I can't believe I didn't think of this during the chapter because I loved watching this one step at a time kind of thing going on with Tyrion in this chapter. But I thought of John Mayer, yep. and. uh he kind of did the same thing in terms of taking a journey to refind himself. He had, you know, I don't know, six or seven years ago, he had all that stuff coming out in Rolling Stone about the terrible things he was saying about his former girlfriends and stuff. Uh, I don't know if you read into any of that stuff. I know you're not a big uh, gossip page reader. But no. I mean, I, I've heard some things from you, and I just know he was quite pro- a playboy prolifically there. involved with women and... Didn't yeah. treat them well is, is he about called, all I know. <laughs> in a Rolling Stone article, he called Jessica Simpson sexual napalm. Take that what you will. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. And it got to the point where he just like, he he just like, he realized kind of that he'd done it to himself, I think. And he wasn't blaming anybody else. But he took off and left New York, L.A., all those places. And he bought a house out in Montana. And he moved to Montana and he lived there for like two years. 
and uh, came out of it like a completely different guy. You know, he released one of his best albums in years and, uh, well, not years, but he released a really solid album. <laughs> I'm a good man with a good heart, had a tough time, got a rough start. And uh, he's been kind of different ever since, but he's kind of gotten back to the music and everything. But yeah, there's something to be said for just getting away from everything you know and finding yourself somewhere else. Yep. And uh, it's definitely what we're seeing with Tyrion here. Yeah, it feels that way. And, you know, I, I don't <clears> want to step at a time again. Yeah, I don't want to oversell it. He's got some serious issues going yep. on. He's thinking of Taisha yep. still and, like, that whole baggage. Um, he's still clearly got some. And, and will probably forever, you know, have these issues with his family. Um, mm -hmm. But, but he's he's at least moved beyond self-loathing to the point of, you know, suicide or other things, right? Just he just likes looking at a naked girl again. Just, yeah, just, maybe. Yeah, maybe we're going way too deep. Maybe this is all just, just about like, the fact that he's getting a good view every morning. He just, you know. <laughs> He just, what is it in uh, Clerks 2, where uh, Randall says, coming just centers me. <laughs> <laughs> Tyrion just needs to rub some out, you know. And uh, which he does. He's all better. In this chapter. So. <laughs> or right beforehand. Uh, let's see. You know what You know what we don't get much of in these books? I don't, we, like, this position of Septa. Or Septon, mm. either one. They're kind of there, but you don't, you don't, you don't get much from them. Like what their, what their whole in, intent is, what their real responsibilities are. Sure, it kind of seems like it's a, it's a hybrid of different roles, and maybe yes. that's why it feels so weird to us, right? Religion, they're... but education, manners. Yeah, they're. It's yeah, they they come off as kind of nunnish. Yeah, right. But they're also teachers. Yeah. Which certainly some nuns are, you know, the Catholic school system and stuff. Sure. Oh, yeah, um, that's true. But, yeah, I don't, I don't know. It's just kind of, they don't, George doesn't spend much time with it. I, I think he expects us to just understand that role. And I'm, I'm mm -hmm. not sure it's it's clear, to, it's clear to me as he wants it to be. But I will say this. Septa Lamour and Septa Mordain <laughs> do things very differently. <laughs> And so there must be either a tremendous flexibility in the way these people are instructed to do their jobs, or or Septa's lost the Septalamora's baby lost the path a little bit, maybe. <laughs> and we can leave it at well, that, but they ain't robots. <laughs> so at least not all of them no no it's true <laughs> they are human yeah she definitely seems to take a kind of a, a liberal interpretation of mm. of things yeah. perhaps but you know and something more dane is no saint either she gets uh fracking wasted at the the hand of the, tur the right. attorney of the hand that. uh and <laughs> basically leaves her her charge to to a drunken child killing uh servant of the of the king uh you know because she's not doing her job and 
that came up this weekend at Ice and Fire Con. Thanks for the reminder. That wouldn't have made this cast. Uh, was yeah, there? I totally didn't remember that. That was in the, brought it up in the car ride with Jeff and and Ann and Eliana. Although I can't remember which one of them brought it up. Sorry, guys. But uh, yeah, Septim Ordain getting drunk at the party. <laughs> <laughs> what a hypocrite! Oh, the real maybe, hypocrite maybe. of Song of Ice and Fire, Septim Ordain. <laughs> Maybe her and Lamore were uh, uh, two peas in the same pod. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> right. So, so maybe I should withdraw my uh, statement about how different they were. <laughs> oh, that's great. Um, this was kind of another. Well, no, it's not like Brand's chapter at all, actually, uh, in the sense that this is the middle of the journey. Brand's was the end of one journey and the start of the other. This is just kind of a character-building chapter, not just for Tyrion, but of his traveling companions to a degree. Yeah. Uh, just to kind of give us a glimpse and maybe even a glimmer of hope into where Tyrion's at in life. But Yeah, you you get to see how capable it, uh, the, the young, uh, young Griff is uh, with his mm-hmm. studies and, and with his uh, martial... Um, training. Um, he seems, he seems on it. Seems capable in all sense. Mm-hmm. Um, seems a little spoiled, maybe. <laughs> well, he's getting all this attention devoted to him, yeah. right? Yeah. It's yeah, true. I think. What are they doing? I don't think it's spoilerific because it's right there in the chapter. Yeah. That their whole life, all of their lives, revolve around training this kid up for something yep fighting geometry whatever religion History, religion yeah yep yep something's going on there yeah these are the kind of chapters maybe for those that are reading with us the first time that on my first reread bored me to tears and i didn't i i think i just sped through them to try to get on my way to the next exciting chapter uh, but upon reread, these chapters are, are gold as you're as you're really trying to develop your knowledge of the world and, and really dive into it. These are the kind of chapters that are really fun. What Matt's saying is, read it again. It might it be worth shot. your time. Yep. <laughs> I think we've said it on the cast before. I don't think there's anything wrong with just speeding through the books and no. getting through them nah. the first time. Then go back and, and really dive into this thing, you know? Even the stuff about the turtles is interesting and all the different types and it's it's fun. It's fun. Yep. So. Turtles. Uh I debate I, I debated diving in and doing a professor scat on turtles of the world and I was like, you know what, that'll bore everyone. So I didn't were you do gonna it. make were you gonna make comparisons of the turtles they're describing to the I was thinking about it, but I to be honest, I didn't have the interest. And I'm like, if I'm not interested Fucking, they're not going to be interested. <laughs> I thought of like at my first, the first few descriptions of turtles. I tried to like equate them to turtles that I knew. Oh yeah, on Earth, and I, I stopped at snapping turtle. I think because <laughs> it's the, <laughs> the one ones you knew. that break bones. Yeah, <laughs> okay, we're done. <laughs> uh, you got anything else on this Tyrion chapter? Uh, nope. All right. 
Let's go to Davos. It's me again. Mm-hmm. Eyes are crying from the onions in the hold. Save Stanley Boy, save Stanley Boy. Finger bones in a bag mean the truth will be told. Steady Davos, steady Davos. Davos never imagined he'd be smuggling himself. Still, the Merry Midwife does a reasonable Millennium Falcon impression, and Davos is in without anyone the wiser. His mission? To get a feel for White Harbor and its political leanings without being identified. See, Davos is still trying to do Stannis' bidding here, to try and obtain manderly support. But first he wanted to learn how the city was kind of feeling. But White Harbor is holding its secrets tighter than a bag of finger bones. As yet, he has seen no direwolf, but no lion or flayed man either flying from any of the flagpoles. Uh, he does get this general leaning, though, throughout the chapter while learning a few things. And that's the chapter, really. Uh, here's well, He gives some insights and we, that, that we can squirrel away, and I'll, I'll, I'll dive into them here. So, first, White Harbor is better defended uh, than six years ago, the last time Davos was here. Uh, a fortified jetty now with a 30-foot wall and towers every 100 yards on this jetty. Uh, a seal rock, which is a basically a 50-foot upthrust of rock, uh, in the middle of the harbor, uh, now defended with scorpions and crossbowmen atop. And on looking down into the inner harbor, Davos sees 23 new warships just waiting to be deployed. However, he also does see Lionstar, a Lannister warship that dashes his hopes for it implies a partnership between Manderly and Lannister, a Landerly agreement, if you will. Still, he doggedly seeks proof of Mandalay's leanings. What he finds is that White Harbor is a city people flock to for protection at the moment, in what is a bit of a chaotic north. Women resort to earning gold on their backs, young men that can grip a spear can join the militia, and this heartens Davos a little bit. At least Manderly is raising men, but for whom? He's kind of got this seesaw of emotions as he learns more things. Lionstar, okay, that's bad, but raising men, well, that's maybe good. He kind of doesn't know what to think. Davos needs more info, so he goes to a place that challenges the stinking goose for both quality of patron and for quality of wine. But here, sailors, gossipy ones, once they get some wine in them, flock because they don't know any better. <laughs> they come to this place, they're like, alright, this place looks alright, and it's terrible. Davos learns a lot, though, prompting conversations with real information from himself as needed to keep the discussion going. Uh, so interesting news from this, uh, this, this place that he goes. Robert Glover is in White Harbor, trying to raise men, mostly failing to raise men. Risewells and Dustins are fighting the Ironborn on a river in the north, and Bolton marches on Moat Caelan with help of Umber, uh, Sirwin, and Hornwood men. Bad news, this, as it shows northern cohesion around the Boltons. No one mentions Stannis at all in the gossip that happens on this night. He's like an afterthought. While giants and others, and Stannis, and and all that was the talk of the wall, and the only thing people were talking about. Nobody knows a thing about it here, or or doesn't care. Uh, Willis, uh, Manderly's son, is still a captive. Ugh, another point not in his favor. Davos had thought both sons had perished. He knows that if his sons were held captive, he'd do anything, join with anyone to make sure to protect them, and he knows this is a big strike against joining Stannis. So basically everything is kind of stacking up against a love match with the Manderleys and Stannis. But all this bickering with himself about the state of affairs is pointless. 
he realizes that he could never run away from Stannis, and that he can't return to him without an official answer from Manderly. So, kind of like Bran at the cave, what else are you going to do? Davos has to do what Davos has to do, which is treat with Manderly himself. He knocks at the gate and asks to see, see Lord Manderly, and Lord Manderly alone. And that's the chapter. Yay. Yeah. Yeah, this chapter was, uh, it wasn't the most exciting. Um, you know, I think I give it, I give it a little bit of pass just because I, I love Davos's impressions of things. Um, it's, it's, it's suited for a reread. Yeah. Yeah. Right. But, uh, yeah, there's, there's not a whole lot going on here. I mean, a lot of the, a lot of the stuff he learns, we already knew. Um, yeah. Basically, what happens here is Davos arrives in White Harper. He listens to a bunch of stuff about things that we already know. Yep. And then he, like, agonizes for a bit before doing what we all know he was going to do. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, the, that's it. the interesting stuff for me about this chapter is 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 the White Harbor defense stuff. Hmm. Um, they're, they're recent developments, right? And if, if, if Manderly were, you know, joining the phrase, which is what he's afraid of, or, or the Lannisters, mm -hmm. why would he have needed to make all of these adjustments? And I think, I would think that Davos would be taking, taking heart in that, um, yeah, he's build he's building a war defense, right? When and he he, he is. He, yep, he was given command to do that at Winterfell, uh, at least right. to build the ships a while ago. Yes. And that Davos doesn't know that, but he, yes, right. there's a good reach around. Yes, Rob Rob ordered him to build ships, right? And it appears that that's happening. It's yeah, it's happening. Um, so you know, maybe he was just doing that as of command, and now that things have changed, he's. Well, the fortifications are already done, so we've got them now. Even though we don't need them, we're buddy buddy got with the, the Lannisters. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But we've got them. Mm -hmm. yep. Yeah, definitely some uh, crazy stuff going on there. Uh, I'll, what was interesting to me about this chapter, and I think the reason this chapter exists, I, I'm, I'm, you know, poo-pooing it a little bit, but what makes this chapter great, and I do, and I do like this chapter is is giving us that glimpse, really that hardcore glimpse inside Davos's head of where he's at right now, right? That even with everything going on, this proves to us Davos's loyalty to Stannis. Yeah. 100%. How many times does he think back on his family in this and how he could just buy a horse, I think he says, mm -hmm. and ride home? Yeah. Right? Or catch a ship and go back home. And uh, even when everything seems to be going against him, he sees the Lion Star docked, as you said, and everything. But he still goes on. And uh, that's why I think this chapter was important. It's another character-building chapter to show us exactly where Davos is. He's not becoming disenchanted with, with Stannis. He's uh, not losing hope. Well, maybe he is a little bit, but he's still going to persevere and he's going to go forward and he's going to finish the job. And that's why we love Davos, right? That's why everyone does. Yeah, Davos has some interesting stuff here, uh, like you said. That, that 
he talks about his family quite a bit in this chapter. Um, uh-huh. And, you know, we, we always kind of talk about Davos as a family man, and that's the most important thing, and that's what's driving him. He's doing it all for them. Oh. But, well, oh, you don't you don't agree with that? I don't know. Sorry, go ahead, finish. Well, well, I think sometimes we give him a bit of a pass and just say, yeah, he's said that before. It's all about his family. And, mm-hmm. um, But do we give him too much of a pass? Because... He's he, he's not with his family, like he's not taking care of them. Exactly, <laughs> they've died, and one of them has given up on the religion that they all believe in, and is serving is serving Stannis. And is Davos really just kind of a slave to Stannis at this point? Right. Yep, that's a very fair question. We we like to ask the hard questions on this podcast, right? Yeah. Keyword hard. Yeah. <clears throat> but I, I did and find it's... I did find my headcanon for Davos though. Um, it's it's written right here in this chapter. It's basically taking Stefan Stanny. Yeah, it's it's basically what I would call the Captain Ron uh, uh-huh. headcanon. If you've ever seen uh-huh. that uh, reasonably awful film, um, <laughs> basically Martin Short takes his family and uh, they know nothing about sailing, but through the through the clever. Swarthy or not swarthy, uh, uh, smarmy uh, direction of uh, Kurt Russell become a sailing family, um, and at the end decide to leave the world behind and just sail around on a ship, and that's what that's what my headcanon for Davos is now. Hearing reading that one chapter in here or that one paragraph in this chapter about how he would like to just take them and go. It was heartbreaking. Yeah, yeah one day when the war is done. I'll take Devin and with me, Steph and Stanny too, if they're old enough. We'll see these dragons and all the wonders of the world. Yeah, lovely. And you just hope he gets there. Yep. Just hope he gets there. For his sake and for his boy's sake. But yeah, he's uh, he's definitely putting Stannis first. Yep. And he might say he's doing it, and he might even believe it, that he's doing it for the good of his family. Right, because he believes that with Stannis at the helm, that's a world that his family can live in and thrive in and be safe in. And uh, I can't fault him if he feels that way. But uh, well, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Stannis is first. Stannis is first. In well, conclusion. and I'll say this too. So I, I talked about giving him a pass, and maybe that was too harsh. Davos either believes Stannis is going to win. And in that case, couldn't leave, because if he left, it would be traitor, and he knows that Stannis will not will, <laughs> will not hold up on punishing him if he, if he departs, right? right? If Stannis wins. Yeah. Or he doesn't believe in Stannis' cause and that Stannis will win, in which case, why the hell is he here, right? So, yeah, he believes it. He can't leave. He can't leave for his family if he actually believes in Stannis' cause. So, yeah, I guess it's just reaffirming that he believes in the cause, which it's nice to read, but I didn't really ever doubt it. Yeah. Again, he's making a decision that we all knew he was going to make. Yeah. (laughs) But uh, I do appreciate the depth to which we got to see that this chapter. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So many things came up that could have turned him around and sent him uh, cutting his losses and running, but he didn't. Uh, Davos and the Lazy Eels would be a pretty good band name for anyone listening that's looking for a suggestion. Oh, I like that one. Yeah. 
Davos and the Lazy Eels. Hmm. <clears throat> I don't think I have too much more going on in this one. I got nothing. Uh, Robert Glover is there. If uh, Just a quick call back to, if we remember from Ash's chapter, she had brought back some Glover hostages. Yep. And those were, uh, that's Robert's family. Mm-hmm. His wife and kids, so reach you can you can understand why he's there trying to raise men. He's uh, he's got some personal investment now in uh, getting the the Ironborn out of the Northern Lands. So, but again, I'd say, why is Manderly allowing that? Even <laughs> right, <laughs> it's a weird thing to allow for someone mm-hmm. else to come to your town. And recruit your people away not you know not that the boltons would necessarily be against the boltons are necessarily be against getting the iron getting out. the ironborn out but exactly. it's, it's still a little bit of a weird control thing uh-huh. well i don't know if he's allowing um a robert just to run wild and gather a team of vigilantes to go and and do it i, I think he's probably appealing to wyman oh i see Okay, I misread that, perhaps. It says he's trying to raise men, so however he's allowed to do that. But yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> All I right. guess we don't know. Should we move on, okay. then? Uh, yeah, I think we're going to Davos After Dark. We are, but first, we want to say thank you to our Patreon supporters at the Dirty Cab Driver uh, and Higher level. I hope we didn't miss anyone. <laughs> so uh, we'll start off with Lord Brandon, brewer of Castle Blackrune, sworn alesmith to House Stark, Grandmaster of the Zithomancer's Guild, and Keeper of the Buzz. And then we had old uh, Jacob M. Of Lady Fatass Red. Uh, we have Jeff H. Archmaester Rickard of Down Under Oaths, Keeper of the Somnolent Gas Mysteries. <laughs> Uh, oh, finally, I get a longer one. <laughs> That's what she said. Arch, Archmaster, Archmaster June, healer of the lesser poxes. I love that one. Uh, yeah, Poxy Tim, <laughs> sorry he missed his last appointment there, June. Yeah. Uh, Jeremy L. Josh C. Jamie K. Daenerys or Daenerys? I would have gone with Daenerys, but who knows? Yeah. <laughs> we'll get that clarified. Rory C. Uh, Sarah from Texas. A cinder at the Citadel. I think that might be the same. No, no it's there are not. different people. Sarah from Texas, Cinder at the Citadel. Yes, they are two different people. And last, our, our Team John's uh, supporter. Go ahead, Matt. Uh, Missa, the Queen of Gifts and Beauty. That's right. Thank you very much for your support, everybody. Love uh, you. Yep. Thank you. Thank you so much. Every last freaking one of you. So. Thanks, everybody, uh, for supporting us, and thanks, everyone, for joining us. So now we're going to enter the dark, dank, wet realm of book spoilers in a segment we like to call Davos After Dark. So if you don't want to be spoiled for future books, please turn off the device, pull the earbuds out of your ears, and go do something constructive with your life. Mm. Um uh, and just join us in three weeks for the next Feast with Dragons episode. Yeah, yeah. But now it's time for Davos After Dark.
close after dark. Okay. So, um, Scatty? Yeah. Let's, let's talk about Ariane again. Okay. Um, we want to lose the remainder of our female listeners? <laughs> We really did put a lot of thought into this, guys. <laughs> I know I did. <laughs> I did too. I I think we did fine. I, I hope so, and I fully understand that I'm the least qualified to make maybe some of the statements we made, but um, yeah. hopefully it, it was received with the intent that it was given. Um, you know, we talk a lot about her, and we talked a lot about her, but let's talk about future Ariane. Yes. What is she doing? What is she shooting for? Yeah. Well, it's interesting. I feel like maybe we've talked about this briefly on another cast on another mm-hmm. episode. Uh, I but think we have to, I can't remember for sure, but you know, Ariane eventually gets the truth from her dad about, mm-hmm. about what the hell's going on. Uh, Let's and, review that truth real quick. Sure. Just for do you want to go ahead? Maybe do, people that don't remember. Do you know? Go it? ahead. Okay. Well, I might miss some details, but basically, um, basically, she learns that the letter that she found that was telling Quentin, "Hey, dude, one day you're going to be on my chair in Doran, ruling it," was right. because he had a secret pact arranged for Ariane to marry Viserys Targaryen. Uh, in which case, she wouldn't be able to rule Doran; she'd be ruling. Westeros. Seven Kingdoms. Right. Yeah. So so kind of like a uh, slap to the face in the positive way of like, wake up. Wake up. I, I love uh-huh. you tons. I trust you implicitly. I've been proposing all of these bullshit marriages to gray hairs because I knew they'd never work out and you'd turn them down. Um, you know, kind of kind of lays it lays into her a bit about, you know, this, this was all set up for you, kid. Um, and... You know, so so she learns that, and you get the sense that maybe they've they've come to a new understanding. Or at least that's what I remember thinking. Um, right. But then you get. Do you want me to go further down the road now? Sure. Well, so you get further down the road in this, you know, this chapter in. Uh, I guess is it is it the winds chapter? It all is melded together when she's dispatched to yes. uh, Griffin's roost, right? Yeah. Right, and 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 you get the sense that like, well, she feels a little rogue to me right now, <laughs> you know, and not keeping Doran in the loop. Um, yeah, that's I, I do remember talking about this part yeah. in, in that Doran, oh boy, for uh, someone who's made some of the errors that Ariane has made, you are giving her an awfully long leash brother saying she she can essentially start a war just by sending a raven yeah with words like if you say it we'll do it we'll march yep and cool yeah daddy okay so so i don't i don't the the question was uh, what will she become or what does she have within her i mean i think she is a capable player of the game and and could certainly succeed if things fell the right way. Now, if she's aligning herself with Aegon and, and that whole thing, I don't know. I <sighs> coming from Ice and Firecon and hearing all these ideas, like basically everyone 
basic. I don't think I've heard a single person that thinks Aegon has a chance in hell of living. Right. And and then if Arianne's allied to her, then she's wrecked Dorne for another how many hundred years, right? So, I don't know. I, I think she's a capable person and capable of being an effective leader, but this decision looks like she's making uh, could doom her country pretty effectively, right? Absolutely. And if she joins with Aegon early and uh, Daenerys comes, you know, that could throw some really interesting wrenches into it, especially if it if it's, you know, discovered that there was, well, if, if the discussion happens that, hey, I was supposed to marry your big brother, you know, what could that do to change things? And, and would she want to switch sides and join Danny? Um, but, and of course, all the interesting part of that is if she joins with Aegon and then Doran's whole point for sending Quentin, right, was to get the dragons. Yeah. And... Now, if Arianne joins with Aegon, he's going to get the dragons, but not in the way that he wants yeah. them. <laughs> he's going to get the wrong end. Uh, yep. Uh, or so most people believe, anyway. Right. Well, uh, yeah, I think that could reasonably be believed. That. Well, no, I don't know if it's reasonably believed, but the, uh, you know, the prevailing maybe idea or theory out there is that we will get a repeat of the the dance of the dragons between Daenerys and. Aegon, um, yeah, fighting over Westeros. <clears throat> yeah, part, and so they need to be super careful what side they end up on. Part of me thinks that uh, I don't know. I probably not, but part of me thinks that the whole Aegon setup is to spend a few hundred pages, or maybe a hundred. Pa- I don't know how much time they've had dedicated to him. Actually, hundred pages mm-hmm. dedicated to this thing put up as a legitimate person, a legitimate force, uh, you know, a legitimate option, and then for the dragons to come in and just wreck him in, like, a night. Like, just destroy the army completely. No dance of dragons, no nothing. Just to prove, just to remind everyone, this is what dragons do, Mm. and this is what it will take. It would kind of maybe act as a act as an agent of change within the West, rest of Westeros to say, we all need to rally uh, together or Danny will kill all of us. Right. right. Especially if, if it comes to pass what we've talked about before of the dragons not being as controllable as we might have assumed they, they are. Yeah. If they just come willy-nilly burning crap down, right? Yeah. And that would be cool if they came in and Aegon was able to like tame one, and then you could get a dance, uh-huh. a dance with dragons. Although you know fewer dragons in play, but the same idea, right? Yeah, could get interesting. Dance of dragons. I keep saying the name of the book instead of the name of the war. Right, that's understandable. Yeah, yeah. what? Are but we, it like, was kind of uh, no. But it was kind of interesting to see, you know, when she says uh, she's she's kind of complaining to Ares about what her jobs are in Dorne, yeah. what her dad's put her in charge of. I plan the parties. My charge was feasts and frolics and the entertainment of distinguished guests. 
right or wrong, that sounds kind of like what a queen is supposed to do. So your dad was kind of setting you up and you didn't even know it. Well, yeah, it depends on the queen, I suppose. Uh, but, uh, yeah. As I say, you know, whether right or wrong, that's that's kind of what the society, I think, expects of, of the queen. Yeah, I mean, it's not what Cersei's doing, but... You're you're to entertain the nobility and stuff like that. Yeah, Which I don't, I don't ag- but I, necessarily agree with. Well, the Dornish don't agree with that, so I can't I can't fault her for being upset at that. For, that's oh, sure. a, that's a slap in her face because Dornish women are are strong, capable leaders and not you know not not set aside but, to be to the birthing bed like you know like most of the Westeros women are. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. She wants to be more than that, yeah. but her her dad maybe knew that that will be expected of you, uh, among other things. So, yep, yep. But yeah, uh, I just remembered a line from the movie Hidden Figures. I haven't seen it uh, yet. Oh, it's so good. Yeah, it's so good. It's you you know on surface level, it's your classic feel good story about you know these people overcoming <laughs> incredible odds and and all of that but and you get one of those like every year like a feel good based on true event story right no i was just laughing because it's 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 uh the exact opposite kind of film that hollywood usually puts out uh black women of you know of incredible intelligence making change mm-hmm. in the world is like a film we've never seen from hollywood because they're a holes so when you called it like it's a, when you said when you said it's like a classic a classic film that we've seen a bunch of times like no this is way different but I see what you mean well like, we do get like yeah yeah you get the the smut yeah, yeah. but once a year it seems like maybe twice you get like this feel good movie that yeah that comes out but and I'm just I'm I'm being very trite about it to make a point that it's it's so much deeper than that it is a really really good movie it's one that like. Immediately after I watched it the first time with my wife, I was like, we need to show this to Lily now, my daughter. Yeah. <clears throat> we haven't yet, but <laughs> we need to. Uh, and one of the, I don't remember which of the three ladies says it, but she says, we go from being our father's daughters. What did she say? We go from being our father's daughters to our husband's wives to our baby's mothers. Mm. And that's exactly what Ariane wants to avoid. Yeah. And I, you know. Yep. Good pull. For some women, that's that's fulfilling. And, and if they feel that way, great. But uh, Ariane doesn't feel that way, for sure. Yeah. Um, and she has it within herself to be, uh, to, to be what she wants to become, I think. But, but, absolutely. But she may have made a fatal choice in partners if... I think that's one of Ariane, Ariane's biggest flaws, and we'll probably get into that as Patience. we get into our next chapters with uh, where she actually is enacting the plan and Ares' death and all that stuff that we're going to get in just yep. one one or two more chapters. Yeah. Um, I think in the very next one. Uh, Patience and aligning herself with the wrong people. Yeah. Someone told, someone always tells. Yeah. Um, let's see. Just a note on Doran while we're on it. We, you know, sometimes he's called weak in the fandom for not wanting to enter into the war. But 
I I don't know, Scat. I kind of feel like Doran's Doran. rather rather heroic. Yeah, I think he's 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 one of the few people who's willing to not throw his people into an all-out war yep. over his own personal desires for vengeance or whatever. Yep. Everyone else, it's like, I got beef with that house. Okay, send my small folk against them. Call my banners and make them all die for how, because they offended me. No, he's trying to keep his people out of battle, out of danger. Yep. And I, I think that's rather heroic. Run, hide, a highland way. Uh... So, <laughs> nice. uh, yeah, I, I, I love Doran. I think he's uh, underappreciated for how effective he is. I will say he has he has some flaws, too. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, he could have avoided this whole thing if he would have just come and talked to Arianne. I gave Arianne shit last, you know, during this episode for, hey, why don't you just go talk it out? Yeah, well, you know what? Doran could have done the same fucking thing. And like kept right. her if he really trusts her as much as he's you know as much as he later implies, maybe mm-hmm. he should have a conversation with her and tell her the plan, you know, yeah. like get this whole thing you know nip it in the bud, and I understand his reasoning. He says later that if she would have just leaked it to even one of her handmaidens or something, yep it would have it would have blown up, but that that is one of of Doran's flaws is he's perhaps not, a little too yeah. trusting in the plan um and i mean not of the people yeah exactly like the the whole thing with viserys right he just kind of trusts that viserys targaryen's going to live and eventually make his way back and yeah. the wedding will all work out and everything um and i think this thought is why don't you original. dedicate some resources dude to make sure that happens to make sure it happens absolutely (laughs) like Like, he's just hoping that it'll all work out yeah and you know he sends quentin across the sea with a few of his friends uh, hoping it will all work out yeah and yeah yep yeah anyways uh enough unless you've got more you want to say no nope i think we've said enough okay (laughs) on arianne we definitely have uh well, let's we we talked a little bit about Aegon. Do we want to get too much into him now, or Septilamore? Uh, Would that be even more enticing? I'd rather talk Aegon than Septilamore, probably because well, I just I don't know what to say about Septilamore. I you don't believe who she is. I don't know who she is. There's a million theories out there that we can point to about who she yeah. is. There's uh, probably a handful of really good ones. Yeah, but, we're not going to cover well, not any even new really good ones, on it. but like better ones. <laughs> we're not going to cover any near, any new ground here on it, unless you have some ideas I don't know about. Probably not. The uh, common ones are what uh, Sharadain, yeah, um, Sarah, Illyrio's wife, yeah, the white, the uh, white, uh, Wenda the white, Wenda fawn. the white fawn, yep, yep, um, uh, Tyene Sands. Mom. Mom, yeah. Uh, I feel which, like I'm which I don't Mom. remember all the evidence, but I think it's like, yeah, because she's a Septa and she was a Septa. She's a Septa. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't know that there was much there. I don't. Rem- Maybe there's. I'm probably doing a disservice to that theory. I just don't remember very well. But... Well, that's that's there's there's not a whole lot more after that. The thing the thing where people run into walls is you can guess all day of who they might be, but you've got to look at motive. Yep. Right. Yeah. 
and narrative what would purpose. Lamore... Yeah. yeah, motive and narrative purpose. Motive yes, for the character and narrative purpose from George. Yeah, like why would Tyene Sands' mom yeah. be involved in raising Aegon? Like, you know, yeah, Sarah, I can see Illyrio's wife, Ashara Dane, I could see, um, but when to the White Fawn? Yeah, there's a lot of fun little hints there that it might be her but what purpose does it serve right you know i mean uh, with all those people think... well not maybe not with tyene's mom i don't remember the circumstances but you know just uh serves as a way to come back with an ally mm-hmm. right to come back yes. to westeros with an True. ally so that's that's uh, that's Which, kind of the bulk motive yeah. that's kind of a, a fit all but you know i don't know how good it is sure sure um, Aegon, uh, and I'll combine this. I'll just go ahead and combine this with one of the questions that you asked me, which is what could ruin this story for me? <laughs> and we'll talk about what could ruin the story for you. Uh-huh. Aegon. And by this story, we mean the whole series is what a I song meant. of ice and fire. Yes. Right. In its entirety. Right. Aegon ending yeah. up the, the ruler of all and everything would kind of ruin the story for me <laughs> because like what were the first three books even for <clears throat> exactly yeah. yeah i actually i actually really like the idea of him and i think he's might be kind of the ruler that westeros needs if he could grow up a little bit because we're mm-hmm. going to get into some chapters where his uh adolescence really shines through <clears throat> but i think overall with the preparation that others are investing in him and everything he might be the ruler that could be good for westeros however yeah you introduce a guy in the fourth fifth book whatever and now he's going to be the hero of everything come on yeah that bothered me a little bit yeah what do you think i know you're a fan of aegon i i am i well um I am a little bit. I, I like I like the path they've taken. I like the path of raise the kid normally, get some blisters on his hands, teach him what it means uh, to really be a, a leader. Um, you know, get, instill in him a sense of duty rather than a sense of deserving. Right. Um, mm-hmm. I, I like those ideas. I I like those ideas a lot more than I like the actual character of Aegon, and so. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, do I think he's going to sit the Iron Throne or anything in the end? No, probably not. I, probably not. I, I'd, I, I kind of think it would be cool if uh, if Aegon and Danny did form a team up. Mm-hmm. If if Danny were if Dan, I, I think I've said this before on the podcast. Like everybody's assuming that Danny is. They make a lot of assumptions about what Danny's going to feel and think, including the John thing, which I think we covered last episode. Um, but like. Maybe she's gonna be like, there, there are more Targaryens. Uh, I, I need to meet them. You know, like we like need to stick together. Yeah, yeah like maybe maybe she's gonna be like, tears of joy at having, because remember she feels abandoned. She feels like the last one, and it's something that she's gotten strength from. But it's also something that's that's just kind of been a source i think for her of abandonment of of feeling alone and she might find out that a- that aegon's out there and feel like she needs to connect with him and feel 
feel a bond with him. And, you know, then, of course, people that say it's Fagon are like, yeah, then she finds out the truth and she fucking burns him. And, and she flips out. <laughs> and, I, you know, I can't defend that. If, he, if it's really Fagon, then, I, you know, probably that's what would happen. But I, I, could, I could see a, uh, an instance where, where she feels drawn to him and, and wants them to work together. And, uh, you know, lends like him that. a dragon yep. and doesn't care about really leading. I mean, mm-hmm. this whole this whole house with the door, you know, and the lemon trees, like, I, I don't know, kind of like Stannis, actually, I don't know how much she really wants to be queen as much as she feels like it's a birthright that she has to go do, you know? I, yeah, she's driven right now Would she right be okay if Aegon did instead? What she means to be, yeah. Right. That's what she, she's, she's driven by what she's meant to be. Right. And but who if, knows if that desire will remain. But if Aegon is real, she isn't meant to be that. If Aegon's real, Aegon is meant to be that. He's the heir, not her. Following so, the, uh, yeah, standard Westerosi secession right. practices. Yeah. Right. Um, so, you know, I, I, I don't, I, I think I believe Aegon, like, most people seem to now um mm-hmm. but if he's real i could see that being an interesting arc for danny to go on of changing right. you know she's gone through all this learning about what she believes and how to rule and all this stuff and then you know it turns out like no that's not her destiny at all like that that would be interesting mm-hmm. that would be really interesting i think it would also be interesting that even if Aegon is fake that idea that maybe he's not the real Targaryen guy that we think he is, but he's been prepared well enough that regardless of him being a Targaryen, he's the right guy for the job. Yeah, we've talked about that before too. That's the right? uh, where does power where does power exist thing from Varys from mm-hmm. Game of Thrones, I think. Uh, you know, forever ago. Have you seen the movie Dave with Kevin Klein? Yes, love that. Film. Where he yeah he looks just like the president. Yeah, and so they bring him in to be the president because what what happens to the real president? He falls into a he coma has, or something. Yeah, he has a heart attack and he's in a coma. Oh, he has a heart attack while he's he's uh, having an yeah, affair. He's che- yeah, he's cheating on on the first lady. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yep. <laughs> and Dave comes in and ends up being the perfect guy for the job, even though he's not technically the real president. Yeah, and uh, you know that idea that Aegon regardless of it goes back to the white cloak thing right you're more than your white cloak yeah that he might just be the right guy for the job uh but that being said i want i want my characters who i've been invested in for since game of thrones to come out on top but i don't know i still think there's not going to be an iron throne in the end yeah it's interesting at ice and Firecon that question came up and uh it was, I think it was during a panel of, uh, it was called like Fandom Faves, and they got, you know, it was, uh, poor Quentin was up there, and um, Aziz was up there. there. There were, I think Butterfly was up there. There were people up there that are basically known known in the fandom, um, and they just asked them questions and stuff, and I think every single one of them was like, there, I don't, I don't think there'll be an Iron Throne. Right. I, I, I think that's true. I think Tara. I think the organizer Tara was up there as well. I get. I get the panels confused. What could ruin this story for you? <laughs> yeah, you you took the second half of that question, applied it to to your uh, your Aegon answer there. That uh-huh. that question came from 
this whole Manderly thing. Again, I'm hitting Heisen Firecon hard here, but I did write this actually before I before I left for the weekend, so I had this idea before this panel, but there's a lot of doubt about Manderly and the North in general about like their motives and their loyalty to the Starks and um who they're in it for and what they're really trying to do. Um and at 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 the first panel I went to it was a panel about the history or the the future of the Stark children, and they they started with Rickon, Jeff, <laughs> Brennan B Fish in true Brennan B Fish trolling fashion, when they said let's start talking about the Stark kids, like which one should we start with? And he threw out Rickon, like the one like nobody cares that much about, <laughs> just to like troll everyone. But they dove in and they you know they they dove in and everything, but they kind of started saying like well. You know, if Manderly finds, even if they find Rickon, you know, they're just using him for their own control and their own benefit. And uh, just this very, this very sarcastic isn't the word, but... Cynical. Cynical. That's, yes, exactly the word I was thinking of. Thank you. This very cynical approach to them looking for an heir and them band, you know, the whole North Remembers theory, uh, you Mm -hmm. know, about them banding together. Yes, Great Northern Conspiracy thing that they're banding together you know whatever we'll get the name right sometime (laughs) it's out there go find it uh that they're banding together to get the boltons out and get the starks back in right with some air and um you know i I, they took a very cynical approach to that like well they're gonna try to they they want rickon because he's the easiest one to control and they can Mm -hmm. get their own power and their own and you know sure they're gonna be looking for kickbacks but I feel like, and we talked about this before with, with Ned, uh, and how he did such a good job sowing loyalty in the North. Uh, and people that, people that love him, right? People that mm-hmm. love the Stark. Not just Ned, the Starks in general. They've, they've got marriages out everywhere. They involve everybody, right? And it feels like the loyalty there is real to me. you got the whole Howland Reed thing, which the loyalty seems off the charts. So, I just, if, if it ends up being that the North is this cynical place that doesn't want to reinstall the Starks or wants to do it on their own terms and not just get things back back together for this family that's been taken apart, mm-hmm. it will it will likely ruin the series for me. I don't want to see the North fall apart, you know, in in this in this grand fashion that way. I, I don't want that. I want I want the Starks to be restored and I want them, any one of them, I don't care if it's Rickon or Sansa or, or, or even John, you know, like, I, I don't care. Um, you know, but I want the family to be restored, I want Winterfell to be restored, and I want the North to band together in whatever it is that they have to do to help fight what I assume would be the others, because they're so the others, close yeah. to the wall. And then we find out all along that it's the Northerners that are the bad guys. <laughs> and the others are heroes. Uh, I don't know if it'll go that far, but uh, yeah, I'm with you, buddy. I'm with you. Uh, specifically, if Manderly turns out to be an a-hole and not the loyal guy that I think he is, I'll be pretty mm-hmm. upset because I love Manderly. I love what yeah. he does, and if it turns out to all have been a ruse, I'm going to be upset yeah. for sure. Uh, I think. So I read ahead a couple Davos chapters. The next Davos chapter is the one where they kind of uh, put Davos down in front of the whole court. Yes. 
Um, and then the one after they, that... They basically tell him that he's going to die, right? Right. Yeah, yeah, throw him in the dungeon. We're going to yeah. kill you. And the one after that is where Wyman fakes having to go to the bathroom so he can get away from the phrase for a little bit. Yep. And he reveals Davos his, his whole plan. Yeah, so I think, yeah. I think when those chapters come up, that'll be a good time to review the the Grand Northern Conspiracy Theory and talk about yeah. what we think, but uh, we'll save we'll save that for then. I think that'll be a, an appropriate time to do that. Yeah, sorry if I spent too much time on it. No, here. no, it was great. I asked you the question, what would ruin it for you? And you answered ably. Um, should we end with some brand stuff? Sure. Stop there. Well, I don't know, because the next brand chapter, speaking of looking ahead is where we get the the reveal that he was blood ra- that uh, the tree man is blood raven yeah. right so that might be the more appropriate time to talk about it well there was there was the uh the others on the hill thing okay yeah your question of why why did the others send whites to get them yeah. when the others could have just come themselves yeah so this question takes it makes a few assumptions it mm-hmm. assumes that Bran really is a huge, important piece to stopping the others. But mm-hmm. if that's true, let's just pretend that's true for a minute. If that's mm-hmm. true, why would the others just send a bunch of dumb whites to try to do this? Instead of just taking ten others, ten ice-like Legoli, and putting them outside the cave, and being like, nuh-uh, Bran child, we're killing you. Right. And ending whatever threat this is. Yeah. It's it's like and you know it's like uh Je- and Jeff and I talked a little bit about this too but like like why why risk the war just to save a few a few others from maybe being at risk when you could end the war by by taking this stand right Yeah Why 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 did the Power Rangers why did Rita always send the the putties to fight when they were just going to get trashed right <laughs> Why did Shredder wow. always send the foot soldiers against yeah. the Ninja Turtles? Yeah. They're going to get trashed every time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's true. First and only Power Rangers reference ever made in this podcast. No, you already talked about it once, about how have you I? to see the film. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, what, did, oh that might have just been on Twitter. I don't remember. Anyway. I, I did like the movie. Um, Let's see. But, yeah, I I don't know the answer to that. Yeah. Yeah. It made me wonder briefly. I have no, there's no, I have nothing behind this. But like the the motivation of not doing it made me wonder like, maybe, maybe they're not against Bloodraven and Bran. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and the whites happen to be there or are there as a ruse or, or maybe... Maybe they, I don't know, maybe they needed to make it look like they wanted to stop Bran, but really they want Bran to take control from Bloodraven because, I don't know, they know something we don't. Right, like, yeah. They, they wanted him to get through, is what I'm saying, and I don't have any evidence at all. But That's kind of what I was thinking, too. Is there some sort of other... Other? <laughs> oh, hey yo. Uh, motive here that we're not even guessing at. And I think it does go back to this idea of 
there being something not quite right about Blood Raven. Yeah. Something sinister there is the best word I can think of, but Yeah. I I'm not I wasn't something even sure. Wicked this way comes. Exactly. Yeah. I wasn't even being coy in the when we were talking about it in the normal part of the cast. It I I don't trust this guy at all. Yeah. I think I think there's something sinister with him and he's gonna take Bran down a path that isn't gonna be a good one. Uh let's see. We brought up your favorite discussion point of white walkers versus whites versus others. <laughs> uh, I don't I don't even know I don't even know if I can define them. And uh I need I like I like need you to do it for me cuz I can't I can't take it anymore. White walkers are others. That's it. It's the same thing. They're the same they're thing. The, they're the same thing. But but what's didn't, didn't we have this big argument over email or something, it might have even been before the cast started, about White Walkers with a capital W or not. Do you remember this? Right. Yes. I think we drew diagrams, actually. You drew a diagram <laughs> and tried to convince me. And I was like, nah, dude, seriously, I still don't get it. I'm still it's not like, sure I get it. It's like, okay, my job title officially is I'm an instructional designer. Yes. Okay. I'm an instructional designer, capital I, capital D. That is my job title, instructional designer. People who don't, they're one out of 20 people actually know what an instructional designer is. Maybe less. That's high. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. The other 19 people would probably just call me a trainer. Yeah. Lowercase t, Matt is a trainer. But to me, I'm an instructional designer, my official title. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing. The others are their official title. Mm-hmm. White walkers are what everyone calls them. Except they don't. The guy in the cart called them others. Right. Yeah. He's one of the one out of the 20. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like, okay, it's, so where's the capital? It's, it's where's a capital? It's a where's term. The capital line thing. Capital letter thing. Is that just a mistake from George? Others are capitalized. No, no, White Walkers it's an sometimes title. is capitalized and sometimes is not, I think. Uh, then it was just starting a sentence. Mm. <laughs> I, don't, I don't believe I've seen White Walkers uh, capitalized. I'm not willing to stake my reputation on it. I feel bad that we're wasting user, uh, listeners' times on this, but... Oh, boy. Yep. Uh, anything what else you want to talk about? <laughs> No, I uh, I don't think so. I think we've we've made our way through these uh, well enough. Okay. Yes. Uh, this was yes. fun though. It was a good episode. Yep. I am gonna go crawl into bed now. Uh, let's see. Shall we sign off? We shall. Well, this is Matt signing off. Just reminding you to always remember. That you are not your white cloak. You are so much more. Good one. Uh, Mine is just a quick quote from Brand's chapter. Uh, The culmination of a journey. The culmination of a dream. I'm here, Brand said. Only I'm broken. Will you... Will you fix me? My legs, I mean. Of course, the answer is no. (laughs) <laughs> and uh my heart was broken like Brandon's on that legs. happy note yeah
Well, we just got our sign-out music, I think, for the episode. It's definitely going to be Fix You by Coldplay. So. Ooh. Cue Fix You by Coldplay. All right. <laughs> Good night, All Carl right. Sar. Good night, guys. See ya. Lights If you ever hear me say, or if I ever send you something that says, my wife needs a few minutes, <laughs> you'll also no. know. Well, actually, if, if it was from me, it would say, my wife needs a minute. <laughs> Just the one? <laughs> yeah. That's all that's needed. Don't worry, I'll be quick. Good call. This is actually the first time I have, um, I'm not drinking Mountain Dew for an episode. Wow. 56 episodes this is the first time <laughs> hashtag growth or hashtag yeah. no longer a boy scout yeah things mm. could go really bad yeah uh, and we've we've got mountain dew i'm prepared with the mountain dew my stomach's just a little upset and i don't even want it so just got water tonight wow so if the episode goes terribly uh, <laughs> blame we... that and not mm-hmm. the fact that i've been up till at least 2 a.m every night since Wednesday. Yeah, I feel you. Yeah. I mean, so we've never really even talked about cold hands. I don't think. What do you think is driving him? Mm-hmm. Is Blood Raven actually like physically driving him? That's a theory out there, right? Yeah. That cold hands is not uh, Actu- in and of himself. Yeah, not an actual sentient being of any kind. Sentiment. But yeah, being driven by Blood Raven. I think that's what I've kind of always felt in the back of my mind. Because I didn't know how else to explain it. Because if he were a white, then like, how did his consciousness become less about killing and maiming in accordance with what the others want and more about helping mm-hmm. people? So I, I guess I've always assumed that it had to be, you know, a blood raven. I know, I know I've seen a theory that like, this is one of uh, blood ravens. Did, do, are we spoiling this? We need to be careful, Scott, because... Uh, we don't know that he's blood raven yet. Does it? No, okay. Sorry. I mean, it's not explicitly said. It, it yeah. only says. I All mean, right. it describes him with his blotchy, yeah, okay. cheek mark and everything. Sorry. Uh, <clears throat> how far back do we need to go? Oof. Uh, do we need to go back to the first part about him being? Uh... Oh, whether he's being driven by? Yeah. Hey, fellow music lovers! Just a shout out to the songs that we used on this episode. We had Paradise by the Dashboard Light by Mr. Meatloaf off his Bat Out of Hell album. Gotta love him, right? 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 Okay. Uh, we also had a bit from the song Squirm by Dave Matthews Band from their album Big Whiskey and the Grugrux King. I threw in a bit of Shadow Days by John Mayer off of his kind of comeback album, Born and Raised. A lot of people didn't love it. I sure did. And then our closeout music for the episode, uh, Blood Raven singing to Bran, Fix You by Coldplay off of the album X and Y. So hope you enjoyed it and can't wait to catch you next time. See you guys. Mm-hmm.